You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and I am joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Now, Gerard, we took a break last week. Some things happened, some realignment, some Elite 11. There were some scheduling issues on my part. I apologize, so you guys can stop hitting me up about last week's no-show episode of Two Star Podcast. We're back. You're listening to us. It's okay. You can feel warm and fuzzy again. But Gerard, the world is a lot different from when we last recorded a podcast. Lots of things have happened with, obviously, USC, UCLA, going to the Big Ten. And you're probably the only one on our staff who hasn't really – people haven't heard your your thoughts and your reaction to this groundbreaking news. So I know a lot of people want to know what – For what you and your thoughts are about this change, this monumental change, you have been championing, not championing, but you have been talking about the future of Super Leagues in college football since, what, the 80s? You've been going on about this for a long time. It's the big move towards that. How are you feeling? What's your reaction? (laughs) The 80s? Oh, man. (laughs) I'm just saying a long time, Gerard. You were talking about this in the huddle from your high school football days. You knew. You knew what was coming. You've been talking about it for a while now. You bought I think that everybody stock. knew what was coming. I think everybody had an idea that, especially with NIL, we're starting to filter through and weed out a lot of what Division One football looks like. So I think, you know, it first came up when – there was potential expansion with the Pac-12 at that point being the Pac-10 and and Larry Scott who's everybody's favorite ex-commissioner wanted to actually go after Oklahoma Oklahoma State Texas Texas A&M and bring them in to what was the Pac-10 and so that was the first initial okay now we have to think about USC outside the scope of just West Coast football and these conferences being uh, multi-regional and having that type of reach. That fell through, and Larry Scott's uh, tenure as Pac-12 commissioner was absolutely abysmal. He will go down as one of the worst commissioners in college football, I think. But nevertheless, it still brought us to the point of thinking, okay, how how is this going to look down the line? Because there seems to be an inevitability here of these – Conferences expanding, the NCAA having less and less of a role. And now that you have NIL, that brings in a whole nother scope of issues that, you know, the NCAA is struggling with. And again, I think eventually will be abolished. And the super conferences are basically going to regulate themselves. And I think at some point, it's going to be interesting to see if if we have an AFL, NFL type of thing where you have two different conferences, which 
kind of go in different directions. They want to regulate each other. Um, you know, the next steps for what we call right now the Big Ten are going to be very interesting in terms of after going after Notre Dame, because we know Notre Dame is, you know, sort of the school right now that everybody's sort of waiting on. After you get Notre Dame, okay, where does the Big Ten go then? Do they just go after Washington and Oregon because you need more West Coast schools and you need to be able to have some subdivisions? You need to have some sort of uh, the little cell type of divisions and then you have the conference sort of uh, layout? Or do they double down on academics and research grants? And some of these other things we've heard behind the scenes that are evidently very important. Now, you know, that's that's an arguable point as to, you know, how, how important that would be looking at it school for school. But I would caution people to say that, you know, the Big Ten, as we see it now, is not necessarily going to be the Big Ten as we see it in the future. And that's not just from additions. That may also be from subtractions. So there's a lot of stuff there that's kind of brewing in the background and going on. I mean, we've heard Stanford thrown out there as a school that maybe they go after before they even talk to Oregon or Washington. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting aspects to this in terms of college football as a whole. And everybody sees these two super conferences competing against each other, but perhaps they don't necessarily completely compete against each other. I think that there will be some obvious competition, but if the Big Ten decides to sort of try to keep embracing college football from a traditional standpoint in terms of, you know, implementing some rules that uh, continue with amateurism. I mean, we saw the big split with COVID. We saw the different philosophies and the different approaches to, okay, what's safe for our players? How do we want to go about this? The SEC was like, hey, business as usual. <laughs> the ACC was business as usual. Big 12, business as usual. Okay, those conferences and those regions, and, you know, obviously you can draw a line almost politically in terms of how people looked at COVID. Those conferences had a completely different approach than the Big 10 and the Pac-12. So, again, you're seeing an alignment not just in terms of um, – you know, for economics, but there's also a philosophy. There's also a mindset. There's certain things that go outside of sports that these schools might align with. And so with the thinking, it may continue to evolve as we go forward and you see a bigger split between those two mega conferences, the SEC and what we know right now is the Big 12 or Big 10, excuse me. If you haven't figured it out, this will be sort of our cold open for the show, but we have a lot to talk about in this show. Specifically with this cold open, we're going to be talking more about the Big Ten move for USC and UCLA. We got recruiting implications. A lot of people have asked us for this show specifically, you know, what does this mean for recruiting once USC moves into the Big Ten? We have a couple of questions that I bumped up from the listener question section that deal with this. So they're going to be tackled in the cold open. And just to jump on that, we have a ton of questions because we didn't do a show last week. We had a bunch of stored up, bunch of questions stored up. And just a reminder, if you want to send us a question, you can email email us, email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you're tagging it for us. You know, the Latino guys, Hurricane, 10K, the Latino boys, whatever you want, composite. Just make sure you address it to us and it'll get to us. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. We're also going to talk about the Elite 11. 
We're going to talk about USC's camps and the seven on seven event that they held from two weeks ago that we were there. We're going to touch on that. And then obviously we are going to react to five star offensive tackle Francis Mauioga choosing Miami over USC, perhaps USC's most important 2023 recruit and see where USC goes from there. We also have some other questions that specifically deal with Francis and that recruitment. So we're going to get into that. So a lot to talk about, uh, but just going back to the big 10 move, Gerard, where were you when the, the news broke? Like I was at elite 11 with Ryan and we had to run to the studio. Where were you? What were you doing? That's a good question. I think I was just there <laughs> at the computer. Cause I didn't go to the elite 11 that day. I think that was the day that was, it was a Wednesday, I believe. So it was a Thursday. Was it the Thursday? Okay, so that was the seven on. So I was, yeah, I think I was just home. I can't even remember. Honestly, I can't even remember. Um, It wasn't. It wasn't like that for me. I wasn't like, oh my god, I dropped everything. You know, I mean, come on, it's it's a move. Again, I don't think it's necessarily super shocking. Um, We've seen these schools talking to other schools, and this is something that, I mean, we've sort of talked about being a move that USC should make. A lot of people are like, listen, USC needs to get the hell out of the Pac-12 or they need to go independent. We've been saying that for a long time. So there's not really a reaction so much as, okay, this is good probably. And, and, you know, we never know how these things shake out. But when you project it, you say, okay, this is good for USC's brand because now they're going to be rubbing elbows with actual football powers and people that really care about football. And that's something that for a long time has been really undermining, I think, USC's moves in athletics because there are Pac-12 programs that simply just don't care. We're looking at you, Cal. Um, you know, th- there's there's a lot of political bureaucrat- bure- bure- bureaucracy. There you go. Um, I was looking for, you know, a different uh, a- adjective there. But you got it, you got it. There's a bunch of different aspects that go into – investing in college sports and when you have schools and universities who have individuals that are basically fifth columns that are always trying to undermine their football programs and always trying to undermine their athletic programs because they're they feel threatened that that money is going to go there and it's going to be investment that is going to pay back tenfold and all of a sudden now all the power is within the athletic departments and we see that i mean we see that there are athletic departments nationally and maybe in the SEC where, uh, you know, maybe football runs the show a little too much. You know, this is college. This is supposed to be about higher education. But you have sort of the opposite effect here on the West Coast in some instances where you actually have people that are insecure about that, that are in the administration, that are provosts, that are people that are on the board of trustees and the board of regents. And they're constantly trying to undermine any traction, any progress that the athletic departments make. And I've seen that up close on the West Coast. So USC has needed to get away from those people. They need to cut bait and get away from that type of thinking if you want to be competitive. And we've seen here in just recent years with Mike Bone and his chief of staff, Brandon Sosna, who's now going to move on to the Detroit Lions and become a part of that front office. uh, These individuals have been much more serious about pushing forward and getting USC back on track and being competitive again in not just football, but sports in general. And so it's been a breath of fresh air. You know, we haven't seen this at USC 
for decades. We've seen a lot of nepotism. We've seen a lot of corruption. We've seen a lot of people taking advantage of some of the great things that USC uh, has inherently as a private school. And so, you know, when you're vulnerable to that and you're in this sort of bucket of crabs, if you will, conference, you just want to get that 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 program and just pull it away from all of those influences. And that's what this does. I mean, this is why bringing Texas and bringing Oklahoma potentially into the Big 12, or excuse me, from the Big 12 into the Pac-12 was so important because you saw, you know, two football powers really, you know, coming in and you would you would say, okay, look it, that's what you got to compete with now. Okay. The bar is not freaking Oregon, you know, which is which is, you know, just really sort of a, a, a Nike front. Um and, and Washington, which unfortunately has really let itself slip as as a as a athletic department. You know, that that was a once very proud football school. And I still have a lot of uh, uh, respect for Washington football traditionally and, you know, how they built their football program over the years, but they have just not competed. And the Pac-12 in general has not competed nationally. So it's like, you know, dude, you got to go where the competition is and it's going to be tougher on you and you better step up and be ready for it. But at least it's going to be something that, uh, you're around other like-minded programs and administrations and you get to see what they're doing and how they're competing and how they're pushing forward to be better. And so I think that's a good thing for USC. I think that, um, you know, it's sort of the company you keep. And what I've known from USC over the years is that they tend to rise to the bar of competition and, and as a football team, but I think as a school I think you rise to that occasion and you rise to that bar that's set. And when you've got Michigan and you've got Ohio State and you've got Nebraska, I mean, you have football programs that even though are not super successful anymore, traditionally you have people that are at those administrations or part of those football programs that take football seriously. Penn State, Nebraska, the list goes on and on. Um, I think that is just going to be good exposure and a good influence on USC football. Let's talk about the influence on not just USC football, but USC recruiting. Uh, like I mentioned, we have two questions that I moved up from the listener question pool and moved up to our cold open just because I thought they fit so well with the theme of the open. So I'm going to get to the first one. Uh, I figured one co- we had questions, so I didn't. I, I knew we we're going to have a bunch of recruiting questions. So I kind of have I've, – uh, I've kind of skated around the recruiting part of it. Because I'm, I'm proud wanna, of you. I'm proud of you. I don't want to step on anybody's questions, but that, that I thought I'd go way of sort of the more esoteric angles of uh, this move and, and let the uh, people ask the questions. Well, there you go. Now it's time for the question. Now you can really let loose, Hurricane. So this the first one comes from Joseph Candelario. Uh, although this is probably too early to think about, it's never too early, Joseph. Uh as this is not for a couple of years, do you believe that the USC move to the Big Ten increases their hold in recruiting in Midwest territories, but also decreases their hold in Western territories? For example, USC can have a recruiting base in Ohio and Michigan since they will be playing teams in that area and families can watch them play. However, their base in Arizona and Utah will be much will be damaged due to them not playing those teams anymore and fewer chances to visit family. Thanks, guys, and appreciate all the hard work you do with this podcast. Thanks, Joseph. So, Gerard, what do you think? I Better... think it's a two-way street. It's okay. a two-way street. 
you know, um, obviously these schools are going to have more access to the West Coast. Um, they're already recruiting the West Coast and, and some more than others are recruiting the West Coast well. So those schools that are in the Big Ten right now will have more exposure to Southern California recruiting bases. Um, and that and that's something that USC, they have to just defend against. And you know how you defend against it? You go out there and you kick those teams' asses every single year. Because if Ohio yeah. State comes to USC every year, or let's say, you know, they're on some type of, um, again, you know, we don't know how this is going to work. It could be a pod, divisional type thing. Maybe they only see Ohio State, you know, every two years. We don't know how it's going to work. But let's just say Michigan, Ohio State get a lot more face time in the Coliseum annually. If they're coming in here and they're working USC by three touchdowns every time they come to the Coliseum, to guess what? There's a lot of kids in San Diego and in Los Angeles are going to go, dang, man, I want to go play at Ohio State. Yeah. And, and, and L.A. kids will leave. They will leave. We know that. Okay, we've seen that. We saw that in the uh, the late 90s before Pete Carroll really locked it down. And we saw that under Clay Helton where there was just kids saying, you know what? I'm not going to go to USC and get developed for the NFL. I'm not going to go to USC and win any championships. I'm going to go to USC. I'm not going to know who the head coach is in a couple of years. So let me go look at Ohio State. And we've seen guys leave. Wyatt Davis. You know, we've seen guys go to Ohio State from the West Coast. Um, you know, Dylan Riola, the 2024 quarterback that uh, USC recruited hard, decided to go to Ohio State. Ohio State has recruited Arizona very well, probably better than uh, USC has in recent years. And so that's something that we've seen even without that exposure. So what USC needs to do is they need to get good. They need to go out to those Midwest schools and they need to go Ohio and they need to go to, to, to Michigan and they need to go to uh, East Lansing and need to beat those programs. And then you open up yourself to being a school that has uh, some type of resonance there at those, 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 those hotbeds of recruiting. And, and there's yeah. not a lot of them now, you know, this in terms of, who's getting the better recruiting grounds out of this is certainly the big 10 schools because, you know, Southern California, California in general, obviously have a ton of recruits. You know, you're not getting a whole lot out of Cleveland. You're not getting a whole lot out of Detroit. You'll get some guys here and there. You'll get some good players, but in terms of the quantity of players, it's not nearly the same. So it's a little more spread out, but what you want to do is you want to cherry pick. If you're USC, you want to win, you want to lock down your region and, and, and the kids in your backyard and you want to go out there and you want to get Ronald Jones or Ronald Johnson, excuse me, uh, who they got uh, from Muskegon many years ago. Uh, you want to go out and get Nick Perry, who they got from Detroit many years ago. You want to go out there and be able to cherry pick and grab those guys. Now USC, when they're winning and they're rolling like they were in the Pete Carroll era, you can get those guys, even if you're not playing a bunch of big 10 schools, but you know, USC was smart to schedule some of those programs. I mean, the result of getting some of those guys was also beating Michigan twice. The result of getting some of those guys was also, you know, going out and having uh, Ohio state come to the Coliseum and whooping them and then going to the horseshoe and whooping them with the freshman quarterback and Matt Barkley, you got to win and you got to look good and you got to show that, Hey, this is the place where you want to get developed. And so, yes, it helps. But again, it helps when you're winning. If you're going to play like you have the past few years, 
then it's just basically be a one-way street and you're going to have Ohio State and Michigan and those other schools coming to the Coliseum, working USC and saying, hey, look at, you know, come on. Let's, you know, just come on over here and, and, and play for us. And in terms of that, that flip side of that, the second part of that question, does it damage their standing in the territories on the West Coast like Arizona or Utah or Nevada or whatever? I don't necessarily think it damaged. I see the point of, you know, families can't drive to, you know, Utah for the Utah away game if they're living in Arizona or whatever or the Cal game or whatever. But th- it's still close enough that they can come to the six home games that you have or the non-conference game that you have. And you're also playing on a much bigger stage. So, yeah, they won't be able to – maybe they won't be able to financially go to, you know, Michigan or Penn State or Illinois for those road road trips, but they're also going to be more exposure and they're going to be able to watch on a Fox or a CBS or whatever, whatever national uh, TV is showing those They'll games. They'll be able to watch it on the Big Ten Network, which is available. Yes, the Big Ten Network. <laughs> that is the what I was blanking on the name. Thank you, Gerard. But yes, you'll be able to actually watch the games, these big road games that they have. So there'll still be access to kind of watch these games and not have to worry about, you know, where am I going to get an illegal stream of the Pac-12 network, you know? Yeah, what bar do I got to go to that has the (laughs) Pac-12 network? Are you showing the Pac-12 network? Please, I need to watch the Stanford game. That's such an amateur-run network. And you know what? We love Yogi Roth, and, and there's some of the people on there that are great. They're good people, and they do a great job. But you see, production wise, that network has always been such an obvious step down from what you see with the Big Ten network and what you see with the SEC network. It's just even the ACC network is just not the same. And that's just sort of emblematic of what the Pac-12 was. And the I mean, putting all that money into headquarters, what, what were you playing, like $8 million or something like that for the rent of yeah. the headquarters in San Francisco? Just completely missed priorities and things that were done that you just shake your head and you you just don't understand how these individuals are able to maintain with the lack of accountability and you know accountability is something we've talked about with the USC athletic program for so many years and you know now we're starting to see people step up to the plate and really try to use the the power of USC you know, and, and and it's great, you know, to see the the power of USC and them taking advantage of all the hard work and and really everything that's been a culmination of years past. That you know these 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 teams and and the the individuals that have come before that have built up USC to what it is, instead of just trying to skate on a name and skate on a brand and not really do any work and really not be accountable for trying to get the most out of it and. You know, the Pac-12 was very much like that as well. You know, it just seemed like there's a lot of people that were skating on, uh, you know, the inherent advantages that some of the schools had instead of really trying to make something out of it. And, you know, I think with the Big Ten, I think you just like, again, you've got a completely different mindset when it comes to college sports. And, you know, uh, Rick Eisen had a very interesting take in terms of the fan bases of UCLA and USC. And he was basically warning the fan bases, you better bring it. Okay. Cause Pat, the, the big 10 will travel. 
Okay. The Penn State yeah. fans, there'll be a whiteout at the Rose Bowl if you guys don't buy tickets. Okay. There'll be Ohio State fans filling the peristyle section if you don't buy tickets. Okay. They take football seriously. So you better get ready because it's coming. Ominous, Gerard. Ominous. But I think USC fans are ready to show up and they're excited to finally show up and play football that essentially matters, especially with the new look administration, Lincoln Riley. I think they're ready to go out there and beat their chests a little bit and, and say, hey, we do football out here in USC. And you know, uh, just, just to follow up, I, I, you know, because I didn't really address that part of the question that, that you just hit about USC's lack of exposure now, potentially in Arizona and the Northwest and some of these other places like Utah, where those schools don't look like they are going to be a part of this bigger national conference. And we don't know 100 percent at this point. You know, right now, Stanford's the only other school that we've actually heard uh, from some legitimate sources talked about as potentially coming along with USC and UCLA. USC, and I can't speak so much for UCLA, but USC has not necessarily done the best job recruiting any of those states in recent memory. Uh, they've done a piss poor job recruiting Arizona, quite frankly, and they've allowed guys like B. John Robinson to go to Texas of all places. And there's some other guys go to Ohio State. Um, they've done a piss poor job uh, of getting Utah recruits. You know, they, they've really only been involved with a few. It was early on in Clay Helton's tenure with Johnny Nansen going in where they got some guys like Osa Messina, who were top players in, in Port Augustine. But that's faded quickly. And again, it faded quickly because USC faded quickly. They weren't winning ball games. But nevertheless, uh, we're going to see what you know Lincoln Riley does, his approach you know, to, to recruiting places like Hawaii and whatever. Those states are still going to be there. They're still going to be close to USC. Uh, you're, you're still going to have that ability to have those guys to take unofficial visits, to build relationships. That's the biggest thing is getting these kids that are close by, not just in Southern California, but Northern California, the Northwest. Arizona, get them on unofficial visits. You need to get all of those top guys on campus multiple times because that's what we're seeing from other schools. And it's like, hey, listen, Ohio is not exactly close to Arizona. But when you see, you know, kids taking multiple unofficial visits to Ohio State, I mean, they figured it out. So it's really not yeah. distance is really no longer a factor with some of these guys. Um, but certainly you need to use that to your advantage. I mean, that was one of the main reasons why I think they're able to get Zion Branch and Zachariah Branch is because those two kids and their families were on campus, even though they were seeing one of the more piss poor products of football <laughs> that USC has had on the field in my lifetime, they still got to be around the university and see the academics and see a lot and just be comfortable with the university. And they're coming over from Bishop Gorman, big time college football program. Listen, Ohio State is is frothing right now to get into Bishop Gorman more. You know, they had their little Tate Martell run that didn't go so well. <laughs> they want to get back in there and get some more guys. You know, Haskell Garrett they got out of Ohio State. He's one of the, been one of their top players. So you know, they these schools have been recruiting these areas and had some success here and there already, just like USC. But the theme here is that you're winning. If you're winning and you're able to uh, show product and development on the field you're going to be in a much better place recruiting all these areas. And then you sort of try to use your advantage of, of locale maybe to close the deal. Moving on to the second question that we have that deals with big 10 
recruiting implications. What is the effect? This one comes from uh, someone named Top on uh, Twitter. What is the effect on the type of players that Riley will go after? What is the effect on the transfer market? Probably helps us a lot on our inbound transfers. I don't necessarily think it'll change the overall type of player that Lincoln Riley and the staff, it seems like, that are going after for their for their schemes or whatnot. It seems like they're still going after, you know, they're going after guys with speed and that have uh, multi-sport athletes. It seems like a lot of guys they've offered either do track or play basketball or baseball. They're going after a lot of multi-sport athletes. I think the biggest change you'll see is possibly with offensive line recruiting or defensive line recruiting, because as we've talked about on the show, the West Coast body is a different kind of body. But if you have more traction in the Midwest, you can recruit Midwest linemen uh, a lot more. You, you, you just have another pool to pull from instead of just being on the West Coast. Draw, what do you think? Yeah, maybe. I mean, again, I, I think it could be overblown. I, I don't think necessarily USC is going to have this open door to, you know, every big farm kid uh, in, in the Big Ten. You know, it's it's still different culture, different vibe. You know, you, you want them to be a little more exposed, you know, to the, the program and to what USC brings to the table. Um, but we'll see, you know, if it, if it's like, oh, wow, we can just recruit all these kids from Ohio and from Michigan and from Pennsylvania. Now, I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. We know that USC is very popular in the DMV and they're very, very popular in New Jersey. And so that could be kind of an interesting thing going out there and uh, putting some, some dubs on uh, your boys and, and the Terps oh, come and, on. Uh, and, and Rutgers. I mean that, you know, because that's in terms of pace of life, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of off the field, it seems like those kids, are a little more comfortable with the West coast and with Los Angeles, you know, you're going to go to places and recruit guys in Iowa to just, you know, they want to bass fish. They don't want to like <laughs> uh, go to, go to these like sushi restaurants. Um, so, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a still a, a bit of, of difference in terms of the type of kids you recruit uh, in terms of their disposition. Now I do think it's a very interesting question. However, when you're talking about style of football, stylistically, this could be another double down on USC and Lincoln Riley having to make sure they can run the ball and they can stop the run because Big Ten football is much closer to big boy football than Pac-12 football is. And I think Lincoln Riley definitely came to USC thinking, well, we can really take advantage of these really bad programs because the Pac-12 is really bad. It's, I mean, even the best Pac-12 school the past couple of years has not been very good. I mean, we saw Oregon get completely drubbed by Iowa State. So now you're 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 raising the level of competition uh, in terms of just the median team in the Big Ten, and you're also changing stylistically of what wins in the Big Ten because you are talking about some pretty cold weather there in November. And even, you know, you're getting into mid-October. Like, I've been in Iowa in mid-October, and it snowed, you know. So, yeah, you, you're, you may have to adjust a bit stylistically to what works at certain times. And I think that is going to, you know, gravitate towards being able to run the ball 
and being able to stop the run a little more. You know, there's still Big Ten teams that throw the ball around and what have you. But uh, certainly, you know, you've got your Michigans, you've got your Ohio States, and you've got your schools at the top. Um, you know, even Notre Dame, if Notre Dame becomes a part of this national conference, those are teams that are going to be able to run the ball, and they are going to have those big uglies up front. And it's a it's kind of a different ball game than playing in a bowl game when you're playing in the Rose Bowl and it's uh, 76 degrees in January. You know, it's not going to be that way in November when you're playing in East Lansing or you're playing in Happy Valley. And so, you know, just having a, a program where you're going to throw the ball around a bunch isn't really going to work. And we know, you know, Lincoln Riley, again, we, we keep saying this, has had a lot of success running the football at Oklahoma. He's had thousand yard rushers, you know, I think almost every year at Oklahoma. So you anticipate that is going to be the case here uh, at USC as well. Uh, but you may have to put an additional amount of <clears throat> uh, emphasis into uh, running the ball and making sure that, you know, you can get those third and threes by just plowing ahead because it might be windy and it might be really cold. And from a practice standpoint, your guys might not be able to really replicate that yeah replicate that and so it's it's a little bit of like all right you know these the, you know the kind of excuses that we heard from uh, usc coming out of the georgia tech game that sun bowl because it was you know 30 degrees and it was windy they don't fly you know you're in and you're out if you're going back there and you have to play in that um it's not a one-off so you better get ready for that and that might you know change a bit your play calling and sort of what you want to do and Again, you know, what? what's your bread and butter as an offense or defense? So you get the new facility, indoor facility, whatever. You may, you, you buy some uh, snow machines and you crank that baby down to like 10 Reverse. degrees, fill it. Fill it with snow and you get the practice going. That's how you do it, Gerard. Reverse indoor facility. Most programs get indoor facilities to stay away from the weather. USC is going to have the first indoor facility to create weather. Look, it's about playing chess, not checkers. And I think that's a chess, chess ass move. Um, those are our two questions. Uh, I know we have recruit reaction here. I would say it's been an overwhelmingly positive uh, reaction from recruits. I mean, kids want to play on a big stage. Let's be honest, the Pac-12 wasn't really a big stage and now you're going uh, to games where you're playing in happy Valley in the horseshoe in the big house, even like, even like a Wisconsin game is big, you know, going to Nebraska, whatever, playing against Ohio state and the Coliseum. Those are big games. Those have a lot of attention on it. So I think recruits have been more or less really fired up about, you know, playing in this new era of USC football in the big 10, getting that much exposure, getting, Getting to play on national TV, getting to play on channels where people can actually see them play. I think it's just been an overwhelmingly positive response from recruits. And I know, Gerard, you talked to some directly. Yeah, and I think, you know, I always sort of talk about this. The perspective from recruits is a lot different than the yes. perspective from fans. Right? Yes. The fans, you guys are reading every single possible nugget that comes out on Twitter from rando people that aren't even authorities on the subject, just anything and everything you could possibly get listening to every podcast, every blurb, the sports center sort of, Hey, this just happened. And they really don't know about it outside of what they hear 
mostly from other college coaches. That's where you're going to get most of the time where they're actually on the phone and they're listening, at least for some of that conversation, uh, about why this is a good move for USC. Or, or perhaps maybe somebody saying, oh, this is a bad move for USC. You know, maybe Oregon's coaching staff is like, oh, they're going to get annihilated in the Big Ten. You want to go to the Big Ten and play in the snow? You want to go in and freeze your asses off? You know, not like it's necessarily warm in Eugene uh, <laughs> in November, but, you know, hey, whatever. I mean, you take advantage of ignorance, and that's what uh, a lot of coaches do when they're trying to negatively recruit. So it's very sort of superficial. It hasn't been a, a lot of recruits haven't had really in-depth views about it. I think the best uh, comments that I've gotten, thoughts on the move, came from Grant Bucky, the uh, three-star defensive lineman, that's committed to USC from Bakersfield and five-star quarterback commit Malachi Nelson from Los Alamitos. And I think with, you know, Grant, he had a really interesting take and he went right into the NIL with it as a, as a selling point for recruiting, you know, more so than just, you know, him playing. And he says, you know, the competition is going to be awesome. And yeah, you're going to play against teams that are like seven win teams and they're still going to have sold out stadiums, man. You're going to go to Nebraska and you, I guarantee you, the first time the USC comes to Nebraska, I don't care what Nebraska's record is. It could be, you know, five-win team in November. That stadium is going to have 75, 80,000 people at minimum. So this is very different than the Rose Bowl, where, you know, it's like, you know, a, a, a small uh, 30,000 groups uh, of, of, of people that are there watching in this 100,000-seat stadium. It's going to be very different. And that's you know, I think like, again, you rise to the occasion if you're USC and USC has had this issue of playing down to its competition. And when you're playing in an empty stadium, it makes it that much harder to get pumped up and to get motivated. So, you know, from that standpoint, everybody's going to want to come see USC. They're going to come want to see the West Coast School. Uh, it's it's a it's a national logo. It's a national program. And even the the bottom of the barrel programs that are in the Big Ten you're going to see those fan bases want to show up. And what Grant Bucky had to say about that was, this is great from an NIL standpoint because it really gives you national exposure. You're now, as a player, you're going to be represented in the biggest markets in the United States of America. You're going to be represented on the East Coast, in, in Washington, D.C., in New Jersey. You're, you're going to be represented on, in the Midwest, in places like Chicago and Indianapolis uh, and Detroit. And you're going to have exposure here on the West Coast. So if you're part of that conference, uh, there is no other conference that is really, truly stretching like that from coast to coast. The SEC is very regional. Um, they, they've sort of gotten into, you know, the Texas market there a little bit with Texas football and Oklahoma. But it's still very regional. and still has that very regional feel, uh, whereas this new conference is just national. I mean, it is absolutely mm -hmm. national in terms of the television markets that you're talking about. And from an NIL standpoint and having exposure to these brands, these national brands that want to use you to be able to promote their products, it's unrivaled. And, and so he talked about that and Malachi said, yeah, that, that's a great take. That is absolutely a great take because, you know, there's a lot of guys that want to get these deals and they want to have that opportunity to work with these companies and these are companies that are going to be with you perhaps throughout your career. This is the big difference. And I, I don't want to sidetrack us and get us into the whole collective talk, but this is the big difference between NIL and how it's supposed to work 
and collectives. Collectives are a bunch of guys throwing money together to try to induce a recruit to go to a certain school. Okay. That money is gone after you leave that school. There's nothing. They don't care about you. It's, it's like, listen, cool. Thanks for your three years, your four years. Now we're going on to the next recruit. Okay. Because that's, what's going to help us win. You're going on to the NFL or you're going on graduating and, you know, bag groceries or, or, you know, get a job at a gas station or whatever, depending on your degree, you're gone on to the next one. But these companies that are actual brands uh, that are, that are going to back you are going to back you, you know, throughout your career, because if you go out and you become an NFL star, well, they're going to want to continue to pay you and probably pay you even more, you know, whether it's uh, beats or it's the Nike or it's, or, or it's, um, you know, some sort of a, a brand of service, you know, a, a mobile company for cell phones, whatever it is, you know, they're going to want to maintain that relationship with you. Uh, now, again, if you're not playing football and uh, you're just running a 95 job, maybe they're not so involved. But, you know, USC, it can extend even further because you could still be in entertainment. You know, you could still at USC not be a professional football player and still find yourself, you know, like Leon McQuay or somebody where you still may work with these brands. I mean, you still may be in entertainment to the standpoint of where, you know, maybe you're on the Big Ten Network now. Maybe you're on Fox. Maybe you're on somewhere and you still have people that are interested in saying, well, you're still on TV. You're still, you know, in front of people. You still have potential selling power. We want to partner with you. So, again, from that standpoint, having the ability to, to, to be on the West Coast and East Coast and Midwest, you're stretching three different time zones. That's very unique. And that's very exciting for those players who have that opportunity. A guy like Caleb Williams. Man, he wishes that they could play in the Big Ten. You know, I'm sure he wishes that he could get even more exposure than he's going to get these next two years. Um, but certainly for Malachi, who's committed to USC, I mean, this is potentially huge for him. I mean, this really, it, it goes above and beyond uh, what the SEC is going to be able to do regionally. All very exciting. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about as the Big Ten and USC partnership moves closer to that 2024 date, especially with recruiting as well. Uh, Gerard, is there anything else you want to add or mention before we move off uh, this cold open, which is, I believe, might be our longest cold open uh, to date? There's going to be tons of things to add as we continue to see, you know, this conference evolve. Again, we're going to see what happens with Notre Dame. We're going to see what happens with Stanford and the schools afterwards. You know, is there a sort of pod type of format where there are going to be some additional West Coast schools. And, you know, maybe USC is, 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 is playing against these Big Ten schools, but maybe not as often <clears throat> as we currently project. We're just not necessarily sure. But there's going to be a lot that comes from it. I think it's definitely good for USC, certainly to maintain and be a part of the upper ep- echelon of college football. Because, you know, like, like I said, you know, we've seen for a, a while now this coming where there's going to be sort of tiers and some of these schools are going to sort of fall by the wayside to some extent. And um, NIL is definitely showing that there's going to be some separation here. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how these schools partner up and how these different companies sort of couple up with that as well. Because, you know, certainly it brings up the conversation of Oregon and Nike. You know, what does Oregon bring to the table? They bring their relationship with Nike. I mean, that's really kind of the leverage that they have. So do they 
use that because you have schools in the Big Ten, you have USC that are Nike schools. Does Nike sort of threaten? Did they try to use their sponsorship somehow to 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 get Oregon in there? Um, you know, with Adidas, we've seen them be very very active in the NIL front uh, with Miami, uh, with uh, Louisville. <laughs> you know, Louisville's not in the Big Ten or in the SEC or in a really a power five conference, but they're landing some interesting recruits. Uh, so we're going to see, you know, how this all sort of shakes out the collectives, the NIL with actual brands and, you know, what happens with the SEC, what happens with the Big Ten. And um, again, are we going to get uh, an AFL, NFL type of situation where, you know, there's sort of two ships passing in the night a little bit here as, as in terms of what they feel is important to them as conferences and, and what they want to prioritize as conferences? Uh, or are we just going to see, you know, a, a, a sort of a com- competition regionally? You know, they're going to draw uh, their, their lines there at the Mason-Dixie and, and, and go after it. You know, it's a, a, a sort of a collegiate football uh, civil war, if you will. Speaking of competition, that segues us into our next topic of discussion, which is the Elite 11 was in town last week. And that was one of the reasons why we had to take a break uh, from our podcast last week because the Elite 11 was in town. We're out covering that, a three-day event. USC QB commit Malachi Nelson was involved with there. He was competing with, I believe it's like 22, 24 quarterbacks. But he ended up making the final cut. He ended up being named one of the Elite 11. Uh, I believe he was somewhere around five or third in the terms of the rankings. Uh, so he did pretty well. There was also a couple of targets out there as well. Five-star tight end Deuce Robinson at Arizona. He was in town catching passes for a lot of these quarterbacks. 2024 four-star Long Beach Millican wide receiver Jordan Anderson. He was out there catching passes as well. He... Recently just picked up that USC re-offer at the camp, which we're going to talk about uh, later in the show. But he was out there catching passes. The defenders came out for the seven-on-seven portion. And as I mentioned, I was supposed to be there covering it. But the news broke about the the realignment for USC-UCLA and had a run over to the studio. So I didn't really get to see a lot. But I did get to talk to Roderick Pleasant, who was there, and the standing with him with USC and Makai Lemon, USC's 2023 athlete commit. He was out there supporting Nelson, catching a couple passes. I caught up with him about his official visit from a couple weekends ago. So a lot going on. Gerard, you were there for the first day. Uh, What were your thoughts about another Elite 11 in the books? I mean, it was good to see, uh, you know, the various different quarterbacks, you know, actually throwing and going through – their drills, you know, a lot of quarterback camps we go to and is is more standing around than anything. And so, you know, that first day, uh, and they pushed and, uh, I thought Malachi Nelson looked good. You know, he was a little off here and there on some of his uh, end zone throws on, uh, the, the boot sort of, uh, scramble that they have where they're near the end zone or throwing the back of the end zone. Um, but really accurate in, in other places, throwing a, a really catchable ball, and, um, you know, seeing him hook up with Deuce Robinson, you know, they spent uh, a large part of the week together, uh, along with Caleb Williams, who was also there. So it was interesting. Caleb was just there. He, he was just messing around, really, for most of uh, the, the day that I, that I shot. And um, it was kind of interesting, though, because, you know, now and again, he just let one go. And you'd be like, whoa, 
you know, yeah. just arm strength, the spiral. And then other times he's just out there and he's like, he, he looked like he was hurt. You know, he was just like, oh, I'm an old man and I'm kind of throwing the ball and trying to boot. And all of a sudden, and then, you know, he, he hits uh, the, the goalpost uh, two times in a row uh, from the 50-yard line. Like, you know, hey, no big deal. It, it was just, you know, he was out there just having fun. Um, but, you know, it was good to see Deuce Robinson really was what I kind of focused on most of because we have not seen him in person yet. And we have not seen him doesn't do a lot of camps. And so just seeing him move, you know, watching him, they, they got a ton of reps. I and mean, this was the great thing about it is that, you know, even at a, at, a, at an opening or a Nike camp or, or, or I mean, even seven on seven, you wouldn't see him get as many reps as he got. I mean, he might have gotten a, a hundred reps. Uh, running different routes and catching the football. So, you know, first and foremost, absolute tight end, right? Not a tweener, not a Drake London. Wouldn't compare him to Drake London at all. Um, definitely a tight end, good speed, really good size, uh, decent hands. Um, a guy that's just, I mean, he's, he's a big dude. You know, he, he's got to be like 6'6", probably close to 250. It's interesting to see him, try to see him as a baseball player because he's big i mean he's a big guy yeah i was thinking oh, about that too like who... you're a big time baseball player but i just didn't like see it just because he's so big yeah basketball you go okay i can see him being like power forward maybe a little short for power forward but you know i mean maybe a college level but yeah for baseball he, he's just such a big guy but right now we're hearing you know third round pick maybe that's been the talk with him and from talking to blair angulo who knows baseball really well uh you kind of have to be basically a top 100 uh, signing to get that sort of six digit into the million dollar range of a signing bonus. And that's, you know, what you're really going to get. Your salary is not going to be all that great for the minor leagues, but you're going to get that rookie signing bonus. And that's going to be probably seven digits if you're a top 100 recruit. So that's kind of sort of where he's got to be. And we're not really sure necessarily uh, where he is in the eyes of minor league scouts right now. He's going to play club baseball this summer. So he did not play uh, baseball for Pinnacle during the spring, but he's going to play club baseball and he's going to travel a little more. And that should give us a better read going into the fall as to where he really sits with minor league baseball. So definitely though, you know, football body, traditional receiving tight end, um, not a tweener whatsoever. You know, he, and Walker Lyons, and, you know, really Kate Eldridge is probably a little more of a tweener among those three just in terms of athleticism because he's a guy that actually plays running back in college. And I, I told you guys already, I, I love him as a fit, that H-back sort of player. Um, and, you know, we're talking Big Ten. We're talking about, you know, does the style of football, you know, change? Does the, the style of recruits that you're recruiting sort of change up a little bit, you know, because you're going to be playing against – more teams that are physical run teams than you would be in the Pac-12. And I think a guy like Caleb Edwards is perfect for that. Like, that's the type of guy that you want to recruit. You know, you may be now looking ahead of the game and going, we might need a couple more Kate Eldridge's. We, may, we might need to find some more guys uh, that, uh, you know, can quasi-play running back but are just physical football players, you know, that maybe have some skill sets in catching the ball or whatever, but knowing that they're going to be mainly blockers uh, in college. So, um, yeah, so watching Deuce was great. Uh, like I said, you know, definitely uh, a little more of an inline tight end. I think that maybe originally when we're watching his film, you know, sophomore going into his junior year, um, you know, Malachi Nelson played 
uh, really well. I wasn't there for the seven on tournament, which was, you know, it started like at 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. That makes uh, two of us because I also wasn't there. You weren't there for that either. Well, I'll tell you what, man, that, that drive out there uh, for me is, is like a two and a half hour drive. So I was like, eh, I think I'll pass on that one. Uh, we do have the Edison passing tournament, the original battle at the beach this weekend, <laughs> which is going to be absolutely stacked with teams. Uh, we'll see, you know, how much every, every time you say stacked, you we ended up we end up getting jinx and it's not stacked. That is absolutely not true because you're <laughs> the one that usually says stacked. You're usually the one that responds after I send you a roster of some sort stacked. And I and I'm a little more reserved about that. I've been a little more on the fence when it comes to how stacked, you know, these 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 events will be. But this I have a feeling is going to be very good. And that should transition us into the USC 7-on-7 tournament, which was also semi-stacked. Yes, that was probably, you know, we've covered a couple of things on campus already. Two elite camps. Uh, We covered the Rising Stars camp. uh, And this 7-on-7 one was kind of the, the feather on the cap to Lincoln Riley's first camp season at USC this summer, this June. And I think we were talking about it, how that was probably the best thing that they held in terms of the talent that came. You know, you had Malachi Nelson in Los Al. You had Sarah and Roderick Pleasant over there. You had Christian Pierce in Rancho uh, Cucamonga and their team. You had Modern Day out there uh, making it all the way to the championship. So a lot of talent out there, some guys we could film. Um, Makai Lemon, he was out there running with uh, Los Alamitos. I was running with the uh, the Griffins all afternoon, ISOing Malachi Nelson. And spoiler, but they ended up actually winning the whole thing over modern day. Gerard, I know you stuck around to cover that final game, but we got a lot of you know good plays. I, I put up an ISO highlight of Malachi Nelson. You can see that on our YouTube channel. A lot of people have watched that already. I think it has like 6,000 views already, but I put up some video of him, a lot of good plays, a lot of good throws. And it was cool to see because the next time we'll probably see Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon on that field, there'll be rocking USC practice stuff. You know, this will be their next step when they're out there part of the team, when they're officially Trojans. And it was cool because Lincoln Riley was, you know, kind of standing over the shoulder of Nelson a lot when they were playing over on the small field over on Howard Jones, you know, he would come over and he would watch a bunch of series of Nelson throwing. So I thought it was that that's a cool thing. I got that on tape as well. So, you know, that's the kind of uh, sites and uh, environment we get to see when, you know, USC is able to host these teams on their campus. Yeah, without a doubt, it was the most stacked event that USC had. The camps were a little bit disappointing in terms of the level of talent at those elite camps. But this was definitely stacked. You had some really good teams there. Unfortunately, San Diego Lincoln pulled out again. That's like the third passing tournament that we've covered that they've pulled out. Um, but you had Chula Vista Modern Day there with a bunch of those top uh, San Diego kids, uh, which is interesting because, you know, USC is not recruiting a couple of those players. So I was watching Brian Odom. He was watching Trey Edwards a lot. You know, he's a guy that they've kind of picked over a little bit, and he's committed to UCLA now. Um, there's uh, guys like, you know, Elijah Brown, who doesn't have a reoffer from USC, who's the quarterback at modern day. And so watching him in the championship game 
with uh, Lincoln Riley was like just peeled watching that game, uh, talking with Bruce Wallinson, like just the interactions and everything. It was really cool to see. And yeah, it ended up being, you know, like a, a really uh, kind of big time final there where you've got Los Alamitos and modern day and modern day had, had to beat Rancho Cucamonga twice. And they were really close games and playing for Rancho was Christian Pierce. who We haven't seen all off season. So it was great to see him again. And I love him physically. He's got the long arms. He's a good six foot two. He's fast. He was playing all over the field for Rancho uh, that weekend. I mean, he was playing up front, kind of almost like a linebacker. He was playing a single high safety. He was playing over the slot and um, had a really good tournament. You know, was talking a lot with Alex Grinch and, um, you know, Brian Odom are watching them. So it's one of those things where you got to see some of the top programs in Southern California there. And again, because you're inviting the whole teams down, uh, I, I, you know, you just had more pull, it seemed like. And that's kind of the interesting, maybe it's a, a revelation a bit coming away from the camps because I haven't really talked to a lot of other recruiting writers and analysts about college camps in their regions. But certainly, I think with California, you're seeing a lot less in terms of turnout. You're not seeing a ton of top players going to these camps anymore. And I don't know if this is sort of an evolution of NIL where right now everybody thinks everybody else is getting paid to do everything, but we've seen just camps in general, there not be a great turnout with top players, a lot of top guys missing from the rosters. And so, you know, with USC, there was definitely even, you know, a lot of their commits didn't show to any of those camps, which I mean, I think Aaron white and, Dylan Williams were the only two commits in the 2023 or the 2024 class or 2025 for that matter, because Aaron White, Aaron White is actually 2025 commit show up to any of the the camps um, outside of the seven on seven. So, I mean, maybe that's the future in terms of getting some of these top players uh, on the campus is to just bring their whole teams and just have seven on seven events because you're getting a much better evaluation, even though it's not necessarily a camp, it's still a pretty good evaluation of certain positions um, and you're getting them on your campus to be able to talk to them and be able to recruit them, which is probably the most important thing. You just want to get those top players to be comfortable being on your campus, hanging out and being able to, to chat with your, your football staff, um, you know, even after the event. Yeah. I'm trying to remember like the last like stacked elite camp that we covered. It was probably, I mean, you could probably talk, about this more because I don't think I was there, but it was probably the the elite camp that Ethan Ray was at and kind of dominated at. I feel like that maybe was the last sort of elite camp that was like a standout. I'm not sure. That was like, what, 2018 or something? The last real elite camp for USC that I remember being really good was... Oh, man, was it the first year that they had it where they had Sean Dollars, they had Jordan Wilmore, they had two camps, and both of them were pretty good. And it was only like about 60 guys there, but it was pretty decent. It was mostly regional. It wasn't like a bunch of guys from out of state or anything. Um, they weren't as good, quite frankly, as some of the rising star camps that USC had under Pete Carroll. But again, 
it's a different place and it's a different time. And although these kids seem to be taking unofficial visits left, right, and center, um, they just don't show up to a lot of camps anymore. And I, again, I don't know if that's just a sign of the times that right now we're in this really weird limbo period of NIL, where again, you know, I hear parents talk about it. They think, you know, the next kid's parents or whatever is getting paid to do this or getting paid to do that. And so they don't want to do anything because they're not getting paid. When in the reality of the situation, only the top 1% of the 1% is probably getting anything from anybody. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, everybody's uh, got the, you know, g- getting something for something, but it's, you know, very much like everybody's got their hand out because nobody wants to be picked over. Everybody wants to get the most out of the situation as possible. So unless you're flying people out, like we saw with the overtime tournament, or we see with uh, some of the uh, all American game um, events where, you know, you're flying people out and you're giving them lots of swag and everything. You need something to almost entice these kids to come out to these events. Whereas a college camp, you actually have to charge them. <laughs> the elite camps, I think they charge $50 and for rising stars, I think it's something like 250 or $300. So it's like, really, you're going to, you know, pay to go to a camp. Um, it just doesn't seem like it's, uh, really motivating kids anymore to get out there to just flat out compete, which uh, is something that we used to see. And um, it's tough because, you know, we need to go evaluate these guys. Now we need to just, you know, go to their high schools anymore um, to to, to see them. And uh, the great thing about the camps at USC in previous years, and they did not do this at all um, in either the elite camps or the rising stars camp that we saw, we used to see them go uh, at rising stars full 11 on 11. And that was always amazing. It was no pads and it's obviously no contact for the most part, but they would go 11 on 11. So you would have linemen out there and rushing the passer. Uh, you would have just full on 11 on 11 periods. And uh, it was the best evaluation you could get outside of real football during the fall. And um, so, you know, that that's, you know, far and away something that, that I miss in the camp season level of you would see at the camps um, has taken a huge dip in recent years. And again, I don't know if that was just something where it's just a sort of sign of the times where kids are not really going to any camps anymore. And I will say that while it wasn't a stacked camp, I will say the second elite camp felt better than the first one we covered. I think we kind of talked about that, but as I mentioned earlier, Jordan Anderson, who was at Elite 11, he was sort of the uh, the star of the second Elite camp, was, which was held the day before the passing tournament. He ended up picking up that reoffer, and he was clear-cut the best offensive player there, probably the best overall player as well. He was a handful in one-on-ones, ran good routes. You could tell they were sort of like looking at him closely for a potential offer, and he ended up picking that offer up at the end. And there were some other guys that you know, that you, Gerard, you and I had our eyes on some young guys mainly. Um, and then even sort of a football celebrity showed up, uh, Bunchy Young, who, if you don't know, he's a sort of viral football, youth football player. He went viral online and he was in the, an Odell Beckham commercial. He's been like at the NFL Super Bowls for their commercial and he has his own show on like Snapchat, but it's really random. He was there. And he was competing with uh, some of the younger guys. I believe he's sort of like a incoming freshman or a freshman somewhere. 
and you know he i put that i put a video of him on tiktok and it went viral a little bit so and a reminder if you're not following us on tiktok you can follow us at tiktok at the peristyle give us a follow but yes follow us before tiktok expand in america well there you go uh yeah follow us before that happens and those were kind of maybe the standouts but it did seem there was a lot more intriguing guys to look at for this for that second elite camp we covered well here's the interesting thing though less scholarship offers came from that camp right. than the first elite camp right. so i mean you just don't know like they look like there was you know a good group there uh, mostly younger guys um not a lot of notable names but it was a decent group aaron white didn't perform in one-on-ones he just did drills um, so, you know, unfortunately he wasn't able to get out there against Jordan Anderson. That's what we wanted to see. So again, it's one of those things that, you know, in terms of competition, eh, it was a bit of a mixed bag. And so you really, at these events, it's always about like seeing the top guys go against the top guys, you know, who wants to step up and steal those reps? Who wants to go and call somebody out, you know, to get out who wants there to be a dog, to be a dog. Yeah. Because that's the, to me, that's a big deal. Yeah, that 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 really means something. And uh, we haven't seen that a whole lot the past uh, couple of years. You know, obviously with COVID, that was a, a complete shutdown and you didn't have a lot of these events. But, you know, last year, coming into this year, there just haven't been as, as many uh, real big time events where you see a lot of that back and forth. I mean, the overtime event, you probably had a little more competition from that standpoint than the other events. I like camps more though. Um, seven on seven is cool and everything, but I think when you're actually, you know, one-on-one in a camp situation, all eyes are on you. It's a true one-on-one. And that's really only for the receivers and the defensive backs. I don't care so much about linebackers and running backs. It's so difficult for a linebacker to win a one-on-one in those, uh, in those situations where you got these running backs running these non-existent fantasy routes right there where the defensive line would usually be. And they're juking nine times in the middle of the open field at, you know, five, nine, 170 pounds. And you've got this big linebacker trying to recover them. That's not a big deal, but the receivers and the defensive backs, that's where you actually get to see a little something, something. And so uh, we just didn't get to see a lot of that. Um, and we need to see that because California had a short season, you know, we weren't able to see as many of those younger guys. And so we're still trying to uh, make up for that, you know, to, 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 to really get, an idea of these local kids and um, you know, even for, for linemen from that standpoint, you know, seven on seven doesn't do anything for them. So camps is really where it's all at. Hurricane. I think that's a good place to take our break. And when we come back, we're going to get into probably not a fun subject for USC fans. That being Francis Mayoga's commitment to the Miami Hurricanes hurricane over the USC Trojans and others. We're going to do a little bit of a perspective on that. Look about maybe where things went wrong, what happens moving forward. We have some questions that deal with that. And then we're going to get into a giant mailbag of listener questions. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. Okay, well, we'll be right back after this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Gerard, how was that break? Fantastic. Okay. Uh, it was a nice long one for us. But we're back again, and I hope you're ready to get your hands a little dirty, Gerard, because we're going to have to talk about sort of a messy subject, and that is Francis Maui Goa. And it was not a great 4th of July for USC fans in that Francis decided to make his commitment to Miami and Mario Cristobal and the Hurricanes over Tennessee and Hawaii and, of course, the Trojans, along with Alabama. And this has been sort of an interesting one just because how important Francis is for this USC class. This is someone that, you know, Zachariah Branch has said, you know, this is one of my top guys. This has been what I feel like I have said multiple times is probably USC's number one recruit in 2023 given his status as the number one offensive tackle and at a position that USC really, really needs moving forward, the offensive line. And it seemed like really early on, you know, USC was in a really good position. You know, we'd heard USC was probably the leader at one point. And, you know, then you hear more about, you know, Tennessee really made a move there strong and his connection to uh, uh, Nico at Long Beach Poly and their relationship and they had really come on strong, and I had reported a couple weeks ago going into his official visit, and I had this confirmed with another source that, you know, it was sort of USC and Tennessee were kind of the lead guys going into that Trojan official visit. And then things sort of took a turn, and as we moved closer to his commitment date, it, it shifted towards Tennessee and sort of Miami were kind of the two teams that were being talked about the most. And then it ends up, I had Tennessee vibes going into that, and it ended up being uh, Miami that ended up winning. Crystal Ball gets another elite offensive tackle to go down for his rebuild uh, over there in the, the the Florida weather. You know, Francis is already in Florida at IMG, so perhaps being already used to Florida was, was part of it. But I'm sure there's a lot of other factors that go into it that we're probably going to talk about. But Hurricane, what was your assessment of what happened with Francis Maui Goa? I don't think USC led for him since probably late February, early March. I think the lead that USC had was very short. It was after that unofficial visit, and he already had that relationship with Sean Nua. I think probably since April, USC has always been trying to keep keep pace with some of these others. He had a really good unofficial visit. 
to Tennessee. And that's when we started hearing all this stuff. And Miami was never really looked at as a top school for him, meaning not like top two, top three. Yeah. They sort of were around and you knew that, you know, with Mario Cristobal being offensive line coach and his success recruiting offensive linemen at Oregon, he would be involved with Maragoa when the time came for Maragoa to make a decision, whether that was, you know, in December or it was during the summer. So it's not unexpected. I mean, I think USC going into that visit was battling to try to kind of stay among the top two or three schools. During the visit, all I got was he's having a great time. He seems to really like it. But, you know, that's going to be true of just about any recruit uh, that's taken an official visit to USC. Uh, There was nothing about other schools said during that visit. And so that always sort of makes me a bit skeptical. You know, no kid's going to be on the visit and say, oh, yeah, I really don't like this school that much. It's just a free visit. What you want to hear is maybe separation in conversations with kids talking about other schools and maybe what they don't like about other schools. And Maragolo was very hard to read from that standpoint. He definitely seemed to keep his cards close to the vest. Nobody gave me the sense that USC made this big jump for him or that they were leading or they felt confident or he was one of the emojis that came as a result from the weekend. So, yeah, in terms of them not getting him, not not a big surprise at all. Uh, I think that in general, we have to look at this within the realm of, of reality and what's really happened as opposed to people panicking as to what's going to happen. So USC didn't get Josh Connolly Jr. They lost out on him. Okay, That was a big loss because that's a guy that could be on campus right now. They also lost out on Brandon Innes. Now, Brandon Innes is a wide receiver, and I think people feel very confident about USC recruiting the skill positions. So nobody really talks about Brandon Innes very much right now. Yeah, He's gone to Ohio State. He's committed to Ohio State. But that, that doesn't come up very much in conversation the question continues to be where's the beef that's the question that everybody has and you know i don't have any sweeping critiques right now because signing day is not tomorrow signing day fortunately for usc is not in august either we kind of have to see this really you know the, the sort of third phase of this process kick in which is this season and what usc is able to do on the field because that has been the missing variable in this equation for USC since they hired Clay Helton. That has always been the question mark as to what are they going to do on the field? And I know winning is not everything, especially in the era of NIL, but it is still significant. And one thing that we talked about with these visits, and I cautioned people, was that USC was hoping that kids would have a lot of faith in what they were going to do turning around this football program because at this point we have not seen a turnaround. Okay. We've, we've heard about the culture change and stuff like that, but you don't actually see it on the football field, but which is ultimately what we have to judge Lincoln Riley and the football staff by. It's not off season talk. It's not off season rhetoric. It's not, you know, the, the, the spring ball or, or, or off season workouts. It's what the product looks like on the field game to game. And so you were asking a lot of these out-of-state recruits and a lot of these recruits, 
to have faith in the turnaround before the turnaround had happened. And so I understand, you know, people want to sort of take the pulse of the program by recruiting because recruiting technically comes before the season. And I say technically because obviously recruiting, the results speak in December, not in June or July. But nevertheless, you still get commitments, you know, all during the offseason. And that's sort of the first sign. Oh, we're turning around. Oh, my gosh. Everybody wants to be a part of the program, et cetera, et cetera. Look what's happening at Miami. Look what's happening at Tennessee. Right. And so, like, those programs are on the upturn. Where's USC? They're flatlining. Oh, my gosh. We don't have any momentum. But, you know, we haven't played a game yet. And so, you know, Miami could go out there and look like dog water. Tennessee. And they, they've got the same you know, coaching staff as I think they had last year, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they weren't very impressive last year. I don't see them being very impressive this year. So what, what happens? You know, do those guys that are committed stay committed? Are there some changes? You know, what happens with it? You know, we'll see. I, I think the only exception to the rule in terms of uh, an outlier from product on the field reflecting the recruiting class is Texas A&M last year, right? Texas A&M, another Adidas school, Miami Adidas school, Louisville Adidas school. Okay, Texas A&M didn't win a bunch of games. They did beat Alabama, however. People forget about that. And that was when they really started to take off with their recruiting. And obviously Jimbo Fisher is saying, hey, man, we just need to put a couple more things together. We beat Alabama. We did something. That's a far cry. I mean, think about beating Alabama compared to where USC was last year. Okay, I know Texas A&M were world beaters, but you beat Alabama and you compare that to the product on the field that USC had last year. So, yeah, you, there's got to be a little more patience. But I understand with a recruitment like this, you know, people are listening to Lincoln Riley. We talked about this before. Lincoln Riley has sort of um, not done himself any favors raising the expectations of winning now immediately. Now, that's why you go out and you do as much work as you did in the portal. You know, that's why you get those guys in the portal, because that's now. Those guys are playing for USC this season. These recruits are not. They're playing for USC next season or the season after this 2024 class. So, you know, the expectations are been raised, but unfortunately, because people want to check the pulse of the program through recruiting, they're getting a little antsy right now. And, you know, the fan base, unfortunately, it seems like they always want me to either be an advocate for condemning the program completely or completely sunshine pumping and hyping it up. And it's like, it's never that way. It's do it, do it, Gerard. Way. Do it, Hurricane. At the same time, do it. <laughs> At the same time, do both. <laughs> but no, it, it's somewhere in between. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like right now, obviously, I think, the recruiting class is not where USC expected it to be, but we'll see what happens. They've got a few guys. They've got three emojis we know for sure that are still floating around out there, and we'll see. If, if those guys end up somewhere else and you say, okay, you know, bad read. They, 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 they didn't do the job that they thought they, they did during that weekend, and then you start to have to critique that weekend and say, okay, do you want to have 20-odd recruits on campus at the same time? Do you want to have a luau for a bunch of Polynesian guys and their families? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Then you kind of have to start second guessing. And trust me, I'm sure the staff, you know, will be second guessing after that point as well. But Francis Mamagoa was not one of those guys 
that you thought was a silent commitment after that weekend. No way, no how, no source gave me any indication of that. It was really, we're trying to make that move to be the lead school for him. But I, I didn't get the impression from anybody that actually happened. Um, and now we have to wait for Lucas Simmons because he's the other offensive tackle out there. And he, I believe, has had USC as the top school for longer and a, a more, uh, I think, a longer period of time. And I think USC has had a better position for him for a longer period of time. Yeah. So I think losing him would be obviously a big deal. Um, Mateo Ungulele would be a big, big deal to lose him. Um, these are the guys that, you know, in terms of the big name recruits, are the guys that I think when you're talking about expectations, if you lose those guys, then there's more of an issue because those guys are expected to be, I think, a part of the class. Now, I know with Lucas Simmons, Florida State is pretty confident. So we'll see. You know, he's got a very good relationship with that Florida State staff. Um, but, man, there's everything on paper says USC to me, and I think USC feels confident as well. So we're going to see how that one goes. That would be – I don't want to say it would be a bigger miss – but it certainly would be more disappointing, I think, for USC to lose Lucas Simmons. I think there was always the feeling like they could lose Francis Malagoa. Sure. And I think if you're a USC fan and you could get into the season with Mateo and Lucas in the fold, I don't exactly know when Lucas is making his commitment. I think it might be before his season. But if you can get into the season, the college football season, with Mateo in the fold – you know, Bosco kids usually make their commitment going into their senior year, so I, I wouldn't be so shocked if he made a commitment uh, in the next couple of months. And if Lucas can – and you can lock up Lucas' commitment going into your season, I think USC fans will feel – take a step back from the ledge. You have two blue-chip trench guys, and then you can kind of gear up and hope that, you know, USC wins those 10 games, and you can go and make another run – at Francis before December, you know, I don't think just because he's committed to Miami now, I don't think that that's it. I, I would expect the staff to continue to recruit Francis, you know, that they're, they're involved with him heavily. They still have good relationships with him. And if you win 10 games, you know, you can, you can open up some commitments, you know, you can, especially if Miami struggles, you can go back and sort of circle back and sort of try to play to get back in their good graces not good graces, like something went bad, but just like play for the flip. You know, you're you're able to play for you're you're much you look much more desirable than you did in the summer just because of what you have done on the field. Yeah, I think with Francis, it's going to be difficult. I think to flip him, I don't get the sense that USC was really in it at the end for whatever reason. I, I just don't get the sense that. This was a super hard decision for him between Miami and USC. Um, I think it probably was Tennessee and Miami and maybe even Alabama there. So, I mean, yeah, you got to kind of keep recruiting him, but he's not a local guy. He's at IMG. It's going to be tough to get him back and forth, you know, on unofficial visits or to fly somebody out there to visit him for in-homes. I don't know. I think um, that one you might be spinning your wheels on a little bit. Uh, there might be some other guys that you have to get a look at that maybe you haven't recruited as hard 
uh, that you need to start recruiting harder now, whether those be local guys or somebody else uh, in Texas or some other state, um, you can make a move for them. Because Miami is not really – I don't know what the expectations are for the Miami football program, but Crystal Ball is in his first year, right? They got, um, they got a good young quarterback. I think their expectations are to go to a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, go to a bowl game. It's the ACC. I mean, it's just Clemson, basically, they're playing. I, I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't think that that them having a, a, a you know, a 7-8 win season is necessarily going to be – it's going to quite move the needle for recruits like it would maybe other schools. I think with Tennessee, there's probably more questions just because of all the Happy Meal McDonald's stuff that went on that we're still kind of waiting to see if the NCAA does anything about that. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff they're doing right now with their collective. They've been very brazen with recruiting and they have a bad season and, you know, they really could because it's, you know, it, it, they're, they're playing a much tougher schedule than Miami will, um, at least at face value. You know, those those recruits, I think, might be potentially dislodged a little easier. Um, it, it, it's really dependent upon sort of the momentum of new staffs and, and what you can sell and, and et cetera. So I, I don't know, again, I, I don't know if I'm sold that, you know, Francis is going to give um, USC another look down the line. Um, maybe if you just had like a really crazy great year, but yeah, I don't know if that's uh, one you might be spinning your wheels on. You might need to either pivot, recruit some local players that you decided not to bring in an unofficial visitor during the summer. There's plenty of those guys. Um, even recently, uh, or somebody else that you feel like is, uh, committed to another school or looking at another school that might have issues, you know, that, 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 you know, that maybe that program starts to fall on their face and, and, and maybe you make a move then. So right now, USC, they have the stability. They just need to win. You need to win those football games and you need to show that, uh, you can do the things that are being questioned about you, you know, it's in terms of player development. And I'm sure with Lyman, you know, we've talked about this before. Running the football, because linemen like to run the football, man. They don't want to just always be back in pass protection, uh, getting he- head slapped by uh, the pass rusher. You know, you got to show that you, you can run the ball. You can be a physical football team. Um, that's what Oregon was always selling with Crystal Ball. It's like, well, you really want to play an air raid offense that's not an NFL offense. It's not going to prepare you for the NFL. Um, that's that's something that USC has to address. And they got to address that on the field. You got to, you got to show it. Now... In keeping the theme with Francis, we did have a Peristyle member post a very sort of detailed autopsy of Francis's recruitment over the last several months, or sort of just a look at what we know, what we don't know. And this user's by the name of Andrew A91. I'm assuming you were born in 1991. Shout out to 91 babies like myself. But he did have several questions, and I guess this is a good place to sort of maybe end the Francis Maioga section with these questions, talk about it, and then springboard us into exactly 10,000 listener questions. So these, it's a much bigger post, but these are kind of the questions that we still have for the Francis recruitment. So if we could just hit these quickly, we don't have to go super in deep. I know that's not, I know that's a lost cause saying that to Gerard, but we'll see. And I think the big one that's sort of like maybe the weirdest point of this whole recruitment is Francis's Instagram 
And I know this is going to be something that's talked about for many, many years moving forward. And it's why did Francis delete USC off his Instagram? Was there something that happened that offended him somehow? To take an actual action of deleting pictures rather than just leaving them there is a statement. What the heck happened? And to tell you, Andrew A91, I don't I don't have a true answer to that. I have not been given like a concrete answer or theory as to this. Gerard, I'm not sure if you have one, but I still have not gotten a clear and concise like from a source like, oh, it's because this. I did hear just like through like a source of a source or whatever, just like sort of murmur that it's because they were blurry. And I don't actually recall seeing, looking at the pictures. I, I remember seeing them when he posted them. And I believe if my memory recalls, I remember, I remember looking at them and seeing those look like more like sort of maybe like he took screenshots when the internet hadn't loaded all the way. Um, they weren't like the super crisp ones. At least that's how I remember it. So, but that doesn't really make sense as a reason for me because I feel like they would have easily sent him the good ones, you know, they, that could have easily been fixed. It's like, oh, here, here are the good ones. I So, and I don't know why you wouldn't repost them. So I don't really have a clear and concise, definite answer to that other than I had heard, you know, they were blurry, which, okay, but that still doesn't, like, answer, that seems like a super easy fix from USC's point of view, you know? I have the answer. Uh Uh-oh. Is it a tweet emoji? He didn't like them. There you go. Cave solved. I think... All right, I'll wrap the podcast up. Thank you for... One of of the points here is that evidently those blurry pictures that he put up weren't even from the visit. They were actually from his unofficial visit because they were taken over at the practice field, I believe. They weren't taken at the Coliseum. They weren't those visits at night where they were at the golden hour. So it wasn't even the right photos that he posted. And then they were blurry on top of it, which obviously everybody's like, what the heck is happening right now? Uh, Because that's how glued in. Trojan fans are to recruiting and what's going on. You know, what really happened and and why he didn't post pictures and why he deleted those pictures. I I understand why he deleted those pictures because they were the wrong pictures and they were blurry. So he didn't like them. But why didn't he post anything from the actual visit? Because I think at that point he already knew he wasn't going to USC. He knew he wasn't going to USC. So why bother? I think he took some of the other visit pictures that he had also off his Instagram, probably out of respect to Miami or whatever. They may even ask and say, Hey dude, you know, you got all these photos of uh, Alabama and whatever. Can you take those off your Instagram? Who knows? But it's kind of a moot point, kind of water under the bridge. Um, I think, like I said, you really got to gauge whether you want to continue to recruit them. uh, If you feel like you're spinning your wheels or you feel like being relentless Uh, will actually get you somewhere, you know, will actually get you to the point where, you know, maybe he questions that uh, commitment down the line. We, from what we've heard, Miami is being investigated for their collective and some of these NIL deals. Uh, We've, we've seen that already reported in in a response from one of their biggest boosters publicly about those uh, interviews that they've been conducting. So who knows? 
you know, I mean, there, there is potential that things happen that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the NCAA gets involved and gets aggressive. Uh, I don't anticipate that, but you never know. So maybe if you're USC, you try to keep that body warm and you try to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, those picks that he did take um, are there for, uh, you know, being uploaded uh, <laughs> when the time comes. Yeah, I wonder even how I have I have to ask a recruit, how does the, the picture accessing come about? Do they just have someone oh, they send just, them? Oh, I, I no, they just send okay. them uh they just send them a code um to a to a to like a, a Google Drive type thing. Oh. They can just get them off of there. Yeah, you just have to ask for access for it and you go right in there and you, you take the pictures off. Well, there you go, a little behind the scenes workings from Hurricane. Uh, the next point in Andrew's uh, Francis breakdown is are Henson, Nua, and Manning. Not really quite sure why Manning is in here. Just mediocre recruiters, or is there nothing differently they could have done to win some of these battles? I.e., are they losing to NIL, or are they losing to better recruiters? Well, I think they've all been notable recruiters at their previous schools, and certainly. You know, as I said, I, I responded to this post in a little more detail uh, on the peristyle. But I think they've been good recruiters at their other schools. Certainly, I think the staff as a whole is much better recruiting staff than USC's had, uh, certainly than any other staffs that they had with Clay Helton. Um, NIL is a wild card in all of this. Uh, I think, um, you know, we really don't have the best sense for them as recruiters this early on, because you do have to sort of cultivate, you know, what you're looking for in a recruit, who you want to recruit, um, you know, what you prioritize in terms of a uh, profile of a recruit. And that's still, we're still kind of sorting that out with uh, this coaching staff. Um, but um I don't think with Francis uh, Malagoa, there was really like anything more that they could do. I think they did everything humanly possible in their own minds to try to sway his recruitment. I mean, they had a freaking luau. You know, there's an interesting sort of take on that with the luau, bringing all the poly kids together. And, you know, sometimes something like that can backfire on you. I remember that I had a college coaching friend text me. After JT uh, Tui Moloau, if you guys remember JT Tui Moloau, he was a five-star defensive end from Washington who postponed all his official visits because that year we didn't have official visits for recruits. And so he ended up taking all his official visits right before he enrolled in 2021 as a 2020 recruit. And so he took his tour. He went to Oregon. He went to USC. He went to Ohio State, and everybody felt like Ohio State was – you know, sort of the leader for most of his recruitment. It was kind of Ohio State, Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama. And the Ohio State coaching staff met him at the airport with Lays. And one of my college coaching buddies texted me and said, you know, that could that could come off the wrong way. That could be looked at as patronizing by his family. Uh, Columbus, Ohio isn't Oahu. It's not Samoa. Are you um, sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And so, you know, that could kind of come off. Uh, maybe they're trying a little too hard. And I thought about that with the Luau and the Polynesian kids. And you had people up there dancing with the dancers. And these are professional dancers. And this is 
a cultural thing that's, you know, very well respected. This is, you know, kind of it was a, a tourist type of event, but you had real Samoans and Polynesians there. And I'm this is completely, you know, me just speculating. I, I there's nothing right. that I heard, but you do kind of wonder with those situations if if things come off the way you hope they come off. Um, you have to be careful with that kind of stuff when you're uh, doing official visits. And, you know, a lot of these schools, they quiz these kids about, you know, what's your favorite food? What do you like? Uh, what do you, what, you know, what are your hobbies? They get all this, you know, information, personal information. So that stuff is ready for them on their visits. You know, they have their favorite chips, candy, soda, uh, you know, drink, whatever, food. It's, it's you know, they, it's not like, oh, we just guessed, right? You know, they're, they're trying to uh, stack the deck a little bit. <clears throat> so I don't know that that was kind of a, <clears throat> excuse me, an interesting thing that happened. Um, and, and certainly, you know, it, it worked with JT Tuimolau. <laughs> I mean, he ended up in Ohio State. So that was something that was not taken the wrong way. And, and, it, and, it, and it probably helped them, or at least it didn't hurt them to the point that he ended up at another school. So I don't know that it was anything to worry about. But I mean, I think the effort was there. Uh, certainly, they, like I said, I think they did everything they could possibly do, um, talking to a few sources to try to land uh, specifically Francis Mamagoa, and it just didn't go their way. And so I, I, I don't think you can put that on any one uh, coach. Uh, it was nobody that, you know, oh, well, they didn't, they didn't call him for two months or what have you. I mean, we've seen in the past with coaching staffs at USC where they've, they've dropped the ball. I mean, they've, they've, they've dropped the ball in situations. And, and the amazing thing is, even going back to like 2018, they still ended up with a really good class. You know, that's, that's, that's an incredible thing. And, and what was it? Well, they had some momentum at the end of the season and they were able to back themselves in Old Cotton Bowl. So despite some really lame recruiting, uh, they were able to get some guys. So the missing variable on this, once again, is the winning factor, is the development factor, is being able to have that. And yes, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley won at Oklahoma, uh, but that was Oklahoma. It wasn't USC. So uh, people want to see him winning at USC. They want to see the turnaround at USC. And, um, you know, it's it's sort of uh, actions speak louder than words in recruiting. And, and in this case, it's the actions of uh, the football team and what they're able to do at the Coliseum. Okay, well, I think that's a good kind of talking endpoint. For Francis, and as Gerard mentioned, he fully answered that. Uh, the rest of those questions uh, on the Parasol, and if you're not a member of the Parasol, you should join up. We just had a we just had a sale where you can get two months for a dollar. Hope a lot of you guys took advantage of that, and I hope new listen new members are listening to this still. Gerard, we actually had someone comment on the board that they became a member because of the Two Star Podcast. That is unexpected. <laughs> oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. That's not but... why we do this. We do this for the love of the podcast. They didn't want to be called a filthy casual anymore. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to be a filthy casual. I mean, you really, you know, you you want to you want to know what's going on with your team, man. You want to get in there. You want to follow it. All the nuance. You want to be able to take it way too seriously like everybody else. Just like everybody else. So... As I've teased multiple times throughout the show, we have, I guess, like a 10,002 questions. Uh, Gerard, I'm not going to tell you to, to, to 
keep it short because that's impossible and people will send me hate mail like let hurricane go so let's just get into these are you ready i'm ready okay the first one comes from charlie from sacramento chris and hurricane absolutely love the pod i listen during my outdoor runs in sacramento summer heat the conversations get me through five to six miles of 100 degree weather oof Charlie, you're a braver man than I am. The more info, the better. In any case, multi-part questions for in any case, multi-part questions for either of you. Answer whichever parts you'd like. Who is a past recruit from any year you most regret getting away, going to another school, and why? Looking for someone you thought we had we had a legitimate chance, legitimate shot at getting. Who in the 2023 recruiting class do you want to see in the Cardinal and Gold the most and why? Fills a need, is an absolute stud, and you would take regardless of need. Who, one person in the 2024 class and beyond, do you want to see in the Cardinal go the most and why? Understanding that a lot can change between now and then. Thanks again for a great pod. Already counting down the days until the next one. Fight on. I'm I'm geeking out of the thought that Charlie will be listening to this while he's abusing himself in a hundred degree heat right now. So I think that's kind of funny, but this is an interesting question. I want to start with the way you stated that was kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of stalling because I'm trying to think of uh, prospects in my head, I guess 2023, just because they're most they're in my head right now. I would say, Lucas Simmons, that's just purely based on a need. And I think it'd be cool to cover someone who has a background such as his in terms of, you know, being a guy from Sweden, an international prospect. I can't remember the last sort of international guy that they've had, but Lucas Simmons would be my pick for right now for 2023 in terms of past recruits. I would say Devin Brown because I was a big Devin Brown believer and I got really close to his family and him. And I think he's super talented and I think he is going to be a great college quarterback. And I was a little bummed out that, you know, didn't work out where he was able to stay in this USC recruiting class. And it was just a, Interesting recruitment for him as being a guy who was sort of underrated and a guy who was maybe kind of poo-pooed on by Peristyle and USC fans for being this three-star guy, a bridge guy, if you will. And then he comes um, comes up and becomes, you know, an Elite 11 quarterback and a top 50 recruit. And I think even one publication had him as the number one overall prospect, which is wild to think about. So Devin was a great kid, great interview. And great family, and I, I'm, I was a little bummed that he didn't end up in the class, but went on to Ohio State, and he's probably going to get a chance to play against uh, USC, which I think is going to be fun. Um, and then 2024, gosh, I don't really have a great answer for you, but I guess I would say the, the big Washington offensive lineman, uh, whose name I'm blanking on, I'm trying to think of his name. I, Gerard, help me. Um, Hurricane mm, Sandre um, Infenda or something, something like that. It's Afua or Afua. Yeah. yeah, 
him because it's another shot for USC to get a big five-star offensive lineman on the West Coast. Just rehash it out. Try to get 2024. <laughs> I know. Just just keep rolling it forward. You just know? keep rolling. They got to get one. They got to get one five-star on the West Coast offensive lineman. Whoever they the top to. lineman is, that guy the next year is going to be the top guy. Um, first and foremost, hey, man, enjoy that hot weather. I love getting on the treadmill and running in 100-degree heat. I love it. It just feels good. Wait, you're not being just, sarcastic? No, I, I, I oh, do love okay. it. I love running in the heat. The humidity, I, I, I love it. I don't know why, but I hate I hate working out when it's like, you know, you got the air conditioning blowing on you. I, I can't stand it. But anyways, I digress. Um, recruit from any year. Now, I don't regret because I'm <laughs> one right. recruiting them. So there's right. no regrets. There's, man, I wish I could have covered that guy. Yes, this I is what it more feels guy. like. Not regrets. Like, I wish I was able to cover this person. I would say, I mean, at the top probably has to be DeAnthony Thomas. Okay. Um, okay. You know, not being able to see him in Cardinal Gold, not being able to see him play uh, for those teams with Lane Kiffin, uh, that would have been a heck of a, uh, a an offense with you know DeAnthony Thomas, Robert Woods, uh, Marquise Lee. Um, that that would have been pretty cool to to see him play at USC. So I, I would say. Probably at the top being DeAnthony Thomas. Fred Warner was another guy that I really liked in high school at a San Marcos Mission Hills high school who, you know, USC kind of, that was kind of on them. They kind of didn't, I think, think he was all that great and didn't have him as high on their board as they probably should have. And he ended up going to BYU and being a complete stud and still playing in the NFL. And he's still the starting uh, inside linebacker for the 49ers. Um, So Fred Warner would have been up there. Um, you know, Ronald Powell out of Rancho Verde High School in Marino Valley was a guy that, you know, was a big time recruit. And that was a battle with Urban Meyer at Florida where USC lost. And USC was was kind of making a comeback there. Um, we were getting kind of down in the nitty gritty in January. And that was before the early signing period. And, um, you know, USC had kind of gotten back in to that fight for Ronald Powell. And, um, you know, once Pete Carroll announced that he was going to the Seattle Seahawks, it made that decision much easier for him. So, you know, they lost on him outright. So those are a couple of guys that I think come to mind over the years um, that would have been cool to to watch in Cardinal and Gold. Um, in terms of 2023, yeah, I agree with Chris. I think Lucas Simmons now kind of goes to the top of the board. You need you need a franchise left tackle. I mean, you need a guy that's going to be a big time player at left tackle for you. Um, you know, they haven't had it for a while. And if you're going to continue to get marquee quarterbacks, you've got to get off to linemen because that was one of the big reasons why Bryce Young decided to go to Alabama. Alabama worked him so hard on how shitty the offensive line recruiting at USC had been in recent years. It kind of scared him. He's like, I'm not a big guy, you know, I'm mobile, but I've been used to throwing behind this amazing modern-day offensive line, and now I'm looking at USC, and they're starting, you know, three different quarterbacks this season because their guys are getting hurt. You know, you got J.D. Daniels going down, and you've got uh, King Slovis going down, and you got Matt Pitt going down. I mean, it was just like that's going to hurt you in quarterback recruiting. You know, it's sort of a little bit of a domino effect. So they got to get some good offensive linemen in this class, and right now Lucas Simmons is – 
ranked at the top. Uh, in terms of 2024, you know, no one player really jumps off the board right now. Again, we have not seen a lot of these guys this offseason. Um, the 2024 class has been kind of quiet in terms of camps. Uh, I would say maybe just in general, I'd like to see USC just dominate and get a bunch of those 2024 and 2025, even 2026 modern day offensive linemen. You know, go get DeAndre Carter, go lock down Brendan Baker, and just, okay, this is going to be our offensive line. These guys, because modern day has a, a lineup right now going into 2026. And now some of those guys did show up to the lineman camp and showed up to some of those camps. And they're all young guys, you know, St. Bosco, St. John Bosco's got a couple guys too um, that are younger guys. And a, a lot of those guys are, are Polynesian players too, as well. Um, so there's a couple guys from Sacramento. Um, and, and so I think, you know, the Alani Noah's um, and Simeone Pales, those type of guys, there's, there's a, there's a kind of a, a big trend coming from California right now with those players and USC needs to lock up those players and they need to go to modern day and need to lock up those top type end offensive linemen that they have. And, um, you know, maybe you get a franchise left tackle out of that, you know, Brandon Baxter looks like he's going to be a very good offensive tackle prospect. Uh, DeAndre Carter maybe maybe ends up being more of an interior guy. Um, but nevertheless, you need quality linemen, and they're right down the street at a feeder school or what should be a feeder school for USC. So I say for 2024, go to modern day and, and, and just start making that a pipeline again. This next one comes from Keith W., uh, Hurricane and Chris, how much have our outdated facilities impacted recruiting? I often read about recruits talking about the facilities of other schools, but never for us. You know, with kids, I feel like facilities are one of those like eye-catching things. Where it's like, oh, this is like sexy and cool. Like this is like the hot new. So I think it has some sort of impact. I don't know. It's like if it's out outright lost them battles, but I definitely think it helps boost other programs when you're sort of comparing the two, when you go visit a USC facility and then you go to like Oregon or Texas A&M, you know, I always see those videos of people posting on their Instagrams of like doing the POV videos of like Texas A&M's ridiculous, like walkway into the locker rooms or showing off like all the cool stuff the lockers have and stuff like that. USC doesn't have that yet. It's going to get there. With these these this money that's going to be coming in with the Big Ten move, so I would I would I would say USC is going to catch up with these with these facilities in the near future. I've often talked about the facilities that USC had when Pete Carroll was coach, and how Heritage Hall <clears throat> downstairs, where the locker rooms and the weight room were, looked like. A Soviet submarine from the 1980s. Exposed plumbing, exposed wiring. Facilities are not that big of a deal. People who are putting a bunch on facilities don't really understand what moves the needle with these kids. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. You know, you don't want to have to work around it, but you're not going to lose kids to facilities. You're going to lose kids because of relationships. Uh, at this point in time, you know, NIL money, I think, is definitely a deciding factor for some families. You're trying to sell, you know, NFL development down the line. 
But of course, hey, you can get six, seven digits right now. You know, who knows what's going to happen at the end of your college career? You got that money in your pocket. And I think that's playing with a lot of families. Um, and I think ultimately it is that player development and potentially getting in the NFL because every single one of these top recruits sees themselves getting in the NFL. That's that's their ultimate goal. They don't mind talking about it, even though it's such a small percentage of guys who even get a cup of coffee in the NFL. <laughs> these kids all think they're going to the NFL and they want to have that development. And they want to get drafted. They want to be in a position to where they can uh, get the most out of that draft pick. And so those are the things that really move the needle with recruits. Um, you know, nice locker rooms and everything. It's cool. Again, it, it's sort of like nice first impression. Wow. Um, cool for but, the Instagram. Yeah, but to some extent, I think, you know, you, you, it can it can sort of be overplayed as well and, and kind of um, gimmicky. You know, like like when you when you when you have lesser facilities, it kind of puts a chip on your shoulder as well, you know. And I think in those days with Pete Carroll, they used that. They're like, yeah, we're gonna go up to Oregon with all their Nike stuff, with their with their basically a world headquarters of Nike stuff, being the guinea kit pig for Nike, and we're gonna kick their ass anyways because you know what? We don't have nice facilities. We don't have nice locker rooms. You know, we don't have this luxury. We're coming from L.A. And we're guys with backgrounds that have edge and we're going to use that edge to cut you. And that's, that was their mentality. That was their philosophy. That's how they did things. And you can build up these facilities that are these nice little, you know, palaces and the kids get soft from them. And, and that's been talked about even with other programs. I know that with, with Ed Ergeron and LSU, he was like, they love the facilities, but then they're also very wary of the facilities. So, yeah, I don't think facilities, I think you want the basics. And you want to have quality, you know, nutrition, I think, is a bigger deal in making sure these kids get fed right than the plate that you're putting down and feeding them on. So I, I think it's a little bit over overblown um, when people start talking up facilities. And, and uh, honestly, it's going to be very interesting to see how the facility war goes, because a lot of these guys that were putting millions of dollars in the facilities are now into the collectives. <laughs> they're putting millions of dollars together to just get the recruits out like you know screw the big team the big screen tvs screw the locker rooms screw the hot tubs and the you know 40 acre uh weight rooms let's just pay this kid <laughs> money he can go to gold's gym and get a workout <laughs> let's just pay him the money to come to our school and then we'll use his talents forget the the facility so the facility game you know nationally might take a hit here because there's all that money being redirected towards collectives. Draw a little bit of kind of breaking news. Break Lucas the mic. Sim breaking news. Lucas Simmons has announced that he will be making his commitment on July 11th. Uh, he will choose between USC, Tennessee, Florida State, and Florida at 1 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports HQ. The CBS Sports HQ curse has been alive and well for USC. Uh, but USC in the final four, he will be committing in five days. So USC's other big target, Gerard, just quick reaction. You got anything? Um, expected. I mean, I, I knew he was going to commit before the season, probably yeah, yeah. no later than the end of July. I think it's Florida State and USC right now. Again, on paper, I mean, it's USC all day from the academics, from the sort of off the field stuff. 
Um, but, you know, he's in Florida right now and he's going to school in Florida. So his family is probably comfortable with where he's at in Florida. You know, maybe they're just more comfortable with the smaller Tallahassee college town. You never know how that plays. Um, his mother was able to make that visit. His mother was also able to make the Florida visit. We were a little confused on that. He moved those visits around. So he ended up taking, I think, a midweek visit to Florida. So his mom was able to make that visit as well after the USC visit. But that was the first visit, official or unofficial, that his mother had ever been on. So he talked about how overwhelming it was. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, crazy with everything going on. Um, you know, you, you hope USC... They showed him a good time and they recruited him really hard as well and, and didn't go, you know, all in for, for Francis um, Malagoa with all the Luau and all the Polynesian stuff. Again, kind of have to think of all these angles, you know, when you're recruiting. Uh, but um, that's a kid that USC, I think, struck a chord with on his unofficial visit. I think off the field, there's a lot more connection with him than there was with Francis Malagoa. And I think, um, you know, that plays with him. You know, you're talking about a kid that's coming over from Sweden. His family is still over there. And, um, you know, I think outside of football, there's a bigger picture for him. And that's where, again, USC tends to do well with those players. Now, again, I don't want to project. I don't want to, uh, you know. No, take those logic glasses off, Gerard. Exactly. You know, take you're, those you're logic glasses off. Going down the uh, the Josh Connerly lane in terms of like all the the reasons why he would commit to USC and uh, starting to you know supplant those as reasons why he's going to commit, um, it's just potentially uh, those reasons definitely exist for Lucas Simmons. He's a good student. He's from a small private school in uh, Clearwater, Florida. So yeah, you kind of get the sense like USC would really hit on the academics and the degree and the networking afterwards. And so we'll see, but. Like I said, I've had people tell me that uh, Florida State is very confident and they have a very good relationship with him. He's been there uh, on several unofficial visits. And so, you know, that's that's sort of been the angle that they've had uh, all along. And, and of course, I'm sure there's NIL involved and there's all that kind of stuff. And um, I just don't think that that necessarily plays quite the factor. You know, I remember we, we were hearing with Francis that, oh, it's more about NFL development. They're not really so concerned about the superficial payday of NIL as they are the long-term money that you get from the NFL. And I kind of scoffed at that because I think with some families, the NIL money, again, it's the money that's here. That's now it's not this promise down the road. And a lot of families and a lot of kids, they just can't see past that. They just see, Hey man, I could make, you know, a million dollars like this year, like take it, <laughs> take it now. Don't worry about, you know, the, the the $20 million contract that's that's down the road, potentially, if you stay healthy and you develop and you get drafted there. Um, so I think with him, the NIL was always a, a thing. I think that's why Tennessee was very involved with him. Uh, but with Lucas Simmons, uh, I think that's probably less of a, of, a, of a thing. I think he's just got a really good relationship with Florida State. And I think with USC, it's just one of those schools that checks a lot of boxes for him. Back to the questions. This one comes from someone I was pretty sure this isn't their real standing, but it's Chris from Long Beach by way of DMV, PG County Beach Boy. That's me. So I think this person's just having a little fun, but I hope you are both doing well. I'm curious, as I read in the war room a couple weeks ago, that Malachi Nelson shot down any rumors of flipping to Michigan. I was curious where these rumors came from. Also curious if we could get an update 
on Brandon Ennis if he's still going to visit USC during the season. So that comes from me, Gerard, I guess. <laughs> um, we don't know uh, if Brandon Ennis will still uh, take a visit to USC. There's a good possibility he could. If USC is rolling, rolling, yeah, hitting the ground running, and uh, they're going he, into that Notre Dame game, uh, potentially, you know, playing for a Rose Bowl, maybe even, you know, college football playoff. I, I would think that Brandon Ennis could very easily end up uh, taking an unofficial visit. And he's got a really, really good relationship with Dennis Simmons. You know, that was like one of his first offers. Someone he thinks highly of it, that believed in him from an early, an early point. So I think if, you know, they're rolling and Dennis is like, Hey, I want you to come visit. I think, I think that wouldn't be an issue getting him on campus for a visit, but I don't have it. We don't have any confirmation that he's still going to take that visit. Cause as I said, he was saying all off season that he wasn't going to commit until, what, December or something? And that's kind of out the window, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. But again, uh, it wasn't totally unexpected. I mean, a lot of people were telling me he was going to commit before that point. But, you know, you, we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, you know, Ohio State uh, will probably have a good season. You know, so I, I don't know that things are going to fall apart. I think with Ohio State, the biggest question would be, is there a lot of talk at the end of the year about maybe if they do have a very good season, Ryan Day going in the NFL? Because he's a, an NFL guy. And um, there's been talk of that in the past. Uh, certainly Urban Meyer kind of screwed it up, I think, for a lot of college coaches in terms of getting a big payday and getting the player personnel deal that they want, because that was ultimately what lured Pete Carroll away. It was having control over player personnel and drafts and free agency. And, um, you know, Urban Meyer got all of that and the kitchen sink and he kind of screwed it up. And so um, that's going to Going to make uh, some other franchises a little bit wary going after some of these top college coaches, but we'll see how it goes uh, with that. But Ryan Day will be a guy that will be, you know, floated out there. I mean, we're going to see that with uh, Lincoln Riley. You know, if Lincoln Riley is uh, as successful as people think he can be at USC, I mean, that's going to come up uh, in the next two or three years. I don't think it's going to come up immediately, but it'll come up in the next two or three years where, uh, you know, the Cowboys are looking at him or the Raiders. The, the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the interesting thing is people are naive to think that, oh, if he would have just, you know, wanted to go to the NFL, he would have just stayed at Oklahoma and gone to the NFL. That's silly. Um, you know, Los Angeles is a pro town. Los Angeles gives you a much better feel for what it would be like to be a pro coach. And by the way, you have two franchises in your backyard. Lincoln Riley could never have to leave Los Angeles and get a job with a pro team. You know, he could go and get a job with the Raiders and not leave Los Angeles. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely a potential stepping stone for him. I don't think people can um, can dismiss that, um, but it's not going to be anything, I think, you know, in the, in the near future. And so, um, you know, there are going to be some other programs that have that floated around uh, about their head coaches if they're, you know, successful, obviously, with, you know, Michigan and Harbaugh. That became an issue for them last year, uh, even though, you know, uh, Michigan uh, previously – you know, had not been very good. They'd been underperforming, but last year they played really well. So we'll see how that all shakes out. In terms of Malachi Nelson and Michigan, to uh, keep it on the Michigan um, subject, uh, that was a – I can't even remember where that came up. I think that was a Twitter slash blogger type thing. Came up on our board a couple times about him looking at Michigan. Um, but uh, according to him, he hasn't talked to Michigan since his freshman year, and the coaches that uh, were recruiting are not even there anymore. So Michigan's not a part – of um, Malachi Nelson's recruitment. 
All right, Gerard, I'm going against my rule that I said at the start of this. I need you to tighten it up a little bit. We're, we're, this, this podcast is growing by the second. You've been promising three hours and four hours on the board. Don't act to coy now. Like, oh, we, I'm the one that hours. has to edit this. And even this sidetrack right now is adding to this. You have to edit yourself, young man. Okay. Well, this one comes from Trojan4005. Really love the show and the insight it provides on recruiting. It provides of the recruiting world. I can't even talk. Thank See, you. This is why we got to edit you. I don't edit that stuff. In my Number one. In my opinion, why does it feel like USC is struggling with local kids like Dalen Austin and Roderick Pleasant? And number two, looking to 2024, how do these things stand with Asendra Afua, DeAndre Carter, and Brandon Baker? I know this is far away, but just curious to tackle the first one. I think those are two just different situations. Roderick seems to be putting football on the back burner for now just with track. I talked with him over the weekend about his official visit, official visit schedule in June and how he only took one. He said, yeah, I've just been really busy with track. And he said specifically, I've, I've been trying to f- focus on setting some, you know, track goals and some aspirations. So I think we've mentioned a couple of times where it's possible, you know, track is his future and not football. So I think he has some, I don't want to call it soul searching, but he has to get his priorities about what he wants to do. And obviously football recruiting takes up a big part of his life as this track. So it's about finding that balance. And I think there's just this summer he wanted to focus or yeah, focus on track and moving forward. You know, I still think USC is in a really good position with him. USC was a school that was recruiting him very heavily early when Lincoln Riley came aboard. He is, he hasn't set out right. You know, he's going to take his last official visit during the season. I feel pretty good about USC getting one of those. He said, it's not about taking trips out of state. It's more about, who is showing that they want him, who he feels connected to. And Dante Williams is one of his one of his closest relationships. So I feel really good about USC getting one of those visits. And Dalen is more like, you know, as I've been told, Dalen really likes this rec- thing you call the recruiting process. So while he is committed to LSU, he is still taking visits. So I think Dalen is still going to be in play if USC wants to revisit with Dalen Austin. So I think Dalen really likes the attention right now. So I think those are two very different situations. And Dante Williams, as we talked about multiple times, always has options. So I don't think missing out on a kid like Dalen Austin is really sort of a big deal because there are plenty of cornerbacks that Dante can hit up and recruit. You know, I think a lot of people would take Pleasant over Austin. And that's sort of just my view on it. And in terms of question number two, I don't really have a feel about uh, Afua and where he stands with USC. Henson was recruiting him at Texas A&M, so I assume there is some sort of relationship still there. Sean Nua, obviously, in with the Polynesians. I'm sure that's going to be a two-pronged attack. DeAndre Carter, I get, personally from me, USC vibes. Brandon Baker, I get Oregon vibes. That's where they stand. Obviously, Brandon's older brother played at Oregon, so they sort of have that little advantage there. That's that's my feeling. I uh, agree with you on number one across the board, and I think Dalen Austin could very easily end up at USC. Um, we're going to see him probably unofficially at some games. Yeah. He'll be around the program quite a bit. Uh, for number two, 2024 guys, 
Uh, I think with Afua and Baker, uh, both looking at Oregon, I mean, Oregon's potentially going to be uh, the school with the best facilities nationally that's Division Two. So we'll see how that works out. Um, I think that's going to be a big deal. I'm being facetious, obviously. Uh, <laughs> as his recruitment what a slight in there. goes on, uh, we have more uniform options than there are schools in our division. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's going to be USC's angle. You know, if, if Oregon's not a part of this uh, big national um, conference, this coast-to-coast conference, whatever they're going to call it, Hopefully they don't just keep calling it the Big Ten because that, <laughs> that's 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 no good. Um, hopefully they have this cool name for it, you know, the National Conference, the, the Coast to Coast Conference. I mean, we got to think about that, Chris. We got, you know, I know that's maybe something more for the uh, the podcast of Champions, which is also probably going to have to change its name. I've already floated that out to Ryan Abraham, and he didn't want to get into that. He said it's two years to go, and uh, it's too early to think about that stuff rebranding but i said it's never too early um but uh we'll have to see what they actually call that new conference but if oregon's not a part of it man oh boy yeah they're uh, it's going to be tough for them to recruit against usc um in a major conference where college football has basically just moved on and so um you know if they trim the fat and uh it's just usc and you know maybe stanford or, or, or something like that on the on the west coast um we'll see where they are with those kind of kids. And I mean, right now I, I think USC's behind on those two, as Chris said, I think they're ahead on Deandre Carter. Uh, you got to get in with Brandon back uh, Baker and you've got to get him. He's got to be your guy. You've got to be uh, um, a, a Trojan. They, 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 you have to get those moderate a kids. They're local. You have to shut it down. If you're going to be successful long-term at USC. Yeah. You got to turn modern day and Sarah and, Inglewood, et cetera, into those type of feeder programs again, where uh, it's just, you know, impossible for schools like Oregon or any of these other schools to go down there and really have any type of traction. They're always going to have their off-season momentum after visits, but at the end of the day, you know, those kids are probably going to go to USC. So that, that's that's where USC gets to get back to. This is a two people asked about this question, so I'm kind of lumping it into one. I apologize because I don't have the first person that asked, but these people are asking about what is the point, basically, of silent commits? I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the concept of silent commitments. Obviously, the name is self-evident, but why does it happen? Is it the commit's choice or the school's choice? Does it mean anything outside of high sc- of a high school kid simply not posting something on Twitter or Instagram? And then another person's like, what's the point of these? Seeing this a lot, but don't understand why. That's from Mike, and I don't have the name of the other person, but they want to know what's the point of a silent commit, Gerard? This is emoji backlash we're seeing here, Chris. <laughs> I um, and there could be more of it to come, potentially. Uh, it means nothing. It's a fart in the wind. It, it absolutely means Jesus. nothing. It's the recruit that tells a fart in a hurricane? The, 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 this coaching staff, I want to be a Trojan. And they're like, cool, we want you to be a Trojan. Uh, when do you want to go public with it? And then they start talking about it. And so the coaching staff feels good about it. And you get an emoji for Josh Connerly because he says, I want to be a Trojan and I'm going to be a Trojan, but it doesn't mean anything. It's non-binding. It's uh, it, it didn't, it never really meant a lot. I mean, when I first got into recruiting, it meant a little more. Um, you usually saw those silent commitments uh, come to fruition for USC. Now, again, USC was winning games and winning championships back then. 
You know, it's it's one of those things where you see a lot of the 50 50 uh, recruits and a, a lot of these sort of I'm committing behind the scenes and I've told the coaching staff this go against you when you're a lo- losing program. It's the symptoms of being a lo- losing program. You know, kids like you and they like your coaching staff and you've got a great relationship. And hey, Clay Helton is a swell guy and they don't want to say, you know, I don't want to go here. I'm sorry, coach. You know, you, you just uh, you're over your head. You're not qualified. I want to go somewhere where I feel better developed. So they just say nice things and they tell the coaching staff what they want to hear. And then when it comes to you know, actually saying something public, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're shocked. But the kid was really never going to go to that school. Um, so silent commitments don't mean anything. Um, verbal commitments nowadays mean less and less. You know, everybody's all caught up in what's going on during the summer. But, you know, we see a lot of these guys decommitting. And we've seen that happen to USC quite frequently over the years. Why? Because they lost football games. Because, uh, you know, they didn't put a product on the field that was um, something that kids could envision being a part of, I think is the best way to put it. And uh, certainly you had a lot of instability with the coaching staff because you start losing games. Those other coaching staffs, you know, at Oregon, at UCLA, at Arizona State, they're in those kids' ears and they're like, dude, you don't want to go there. That coaching staff's not even going to be there next year. And so that makes kids, you know, very wary. And that really kills you out of state. You know, uncertainty, as I've always said, is an absolute poison pill for you recruiting out of state. No kid wants to come across the country and go to school and he doesn't know anybody. Right. That's nobody wants that. And that's what happens when you have a coaching staff uh, that's on the hot seat. So now that's been resolved at USC and you've got. Lincoln Riley. And like I said, you'll see in a couple of years, you know, that'll be the rumors. Oh, Lincoln's going here. Lincoln's going there. We saw that in Oklahoma and they'll have to compete against that. But at that point, if people are talking about him going to the NFL, hopefully it's because USC is winning so many games. And so um, that again, will, will help that winning doesn't cure all in this day and age in college football, but it does help quite significantly. I think that, sort of answers another question that we had that I think we're going to get to later because I read them out of order. Disregard what I just said. Uh, This one comes from Noah from Glendora. Dear Hurricane and the founder of Trevino Tech 10K, with Brandon Innes now committed to Ohio State, which receiver do you think the recruiting staff goes after? I think USC will be fine and do not necessarily need Innes, but I know the staff will still recruit him because of his great talent. Also, on an unrelated football note, have you guys ever watched the show All-American? I was watching an episode and all of a sudden spotted Ryan on the show. In the show, he played a beach volleyball against the main characters and absolutely destroyed them. One of the characters, Asher, said Ryan looks like a grandpa. You should check it out. Season four, episode nine. Anyway, sorry for the long email. You guys do an amazing job with the podcast. And I look up to you guys, hoping I can do what you guys do one day. Also coming from Mexican descent. Fight on. Noah from Glendora. Noah, thank you so much. We we love our Mexican brethren listening to the show. And I actually did know that US, uh, USC Ryan was in the show all American. I actually told him about all American because I was watching it because my girlfriend was watching it and I hate watched it with her because I was like, this isn't happen. You don't have recruiting camps like this in the middle of the season. Why would you put the season? There's just so many things wrong with this show in terms of football and someone who covers football for a living, it drives me crazy. But I got sucked into hate watching it. So I've literally watched all three seasons. I haven't watched season four yet, but I do absolutely know that Ryan is in 
I believe he's in, yeah, he's in, I thought it was two episodes, but it might just be two parts of the same episode. But yeah, I, he told me all about his shoot and all that stuff. So I'm very much aware and I'm excited to actually see it. I haven't really watched it in full detail yet, but I have seen the clips. So I am aware and I'm excited to check it out when I do eventually start season four. But I hate that show, Noah. I hate it with a passion, but I do watch it. Yes. Okay, glossing over that, getting to the meat of the question. No, that was the real answer to the question. Where does USC go now that Brandon Enos has committed to Ohio State? Well, you know, we talked a little bit about DeAndre Moore in the past. DeAndre Moore potentially could be there. Now, he's just transferred out of Los Alamitos. So that's a little shot over the bow, you know, uh, at Malachi Nelson, you know, former teammate. And um, now he's at St. John Bosco with uh Clarkson's son who we've seen uh a, a little bit of a an influx of recruits there uh all committed to Louisville coincidentally so that's a little interesting subplot going on there at St. John Bosco by the way a Nike school uh even though Louisville is an Adidas school and the connections are that Adidas is very much involved in NIL right now but with him potentially maybe still being there because he's a local recruit and um, you know, there'll be a lot of fighting to try to keep him away from USC's campus during the year. Nevertheless, USC's playing in some big games and they're winning a lot of those, you know, potentially you could see him down there and, and still a target for USC. They did just recently offer a scholarship to Malachi Coleman. This was a couple of months ago. I think it was at the back end of May. So May evaluations, Malachi Coleman, a six five hundred ninety pound four star athlete from uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. So from Lincoln, Nebraska, that's a uh, Big Ten country. Chris, um, he has a scholarship offer from USC, and he has now set up an official visit for USC September seventeenth. So we're talking about a an in season visit, which is the first that we've seen actually scheduled, which is a little bit of an interesting um, because we talked about, you know, how's USC strategically going to approach recruiting during the season. You know, they've largely stayed away from that with past staffs, even going all the way back to Pete Carroll. They really didn't bring in a bunch of recruits during the season. We have our first recruit that is uh, scheduled to visit to USC in September and uh, probably receiver recruit, 6'5", 190, very different than Brandon Enos. And quite frankly, Probably a better mix in the class, considering of what you already have recruited and already have committed in uh, Makai Lemon and Zachariah Branch, who are both smaller, you know, uh, sort of uh, receivers that I would say um, Lemon is more of the possession flanker, whereas you're going to use Branch in the slot. He's going to get vertical with his speed. Uh, Malachi Coleman, you know, 6'5", 190 is a bit of that bigger receiver, which we have not seen USC offer a lot of those players. And when you go back and you look at Oklahoma and what Lincoln Riley did with those receiving cores, a lot of those guys are those 5'11", 6-foot type receivers. So um, big receivers, while that's a tradition at USC and USC has been big receiver U, uh, it's not necessarily something that the offense that Lincoln Riley uses as dependent on. But here we see Malachi Coleman. Uh, 6'5", 190, uh, being one of those type of receivers. So it'll be interesting to see what his recruitment looks like going forward. Let's do a couple of quick 
Big Ten realignment questions. This one comes from Miles. Is there a chance that the team stays in the Midwest for a full week and plays two road games on consecutive Saturdays? No. I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think that's sort of. Don't think that's on the docket with school. Even though you could do like, like digital class or whatever, as the pandemic showed, I don't think digital that's class. like an issue. I don't think online class. That's what I was. Come on, man. We're we're going on two and a half hours here. My brain is fried. Uh, but no, I don't think that is a feasible option. This one comes. Get from it together, Jeff. Chris. Come oh on. Oh my goodness. Get it together. It's the fourth quarter. Oh okay, we're down by three. Let's go, man. Punch it through. We need a first down here. Get it together. Focus, Chris. That leopard sucks. Okay, this one comes from Jeff. A conference realignment question. Why are people flipping out over a floor a four hour flight? What's two more hours in a jet? <laughs> I can tell you this. Being someone that suffers from motion sickness when I sit in the aisle seat of a plane, it means a lot. Because, dude, trust me, two-hour flights are, like, awesome. Man, you get a five-hour flight, it's, it, it sucks. But look at I'm old. And like <laughs> I said, I got, <laughs> I got motion sickness sometimes. Because remember when we went to San Antonio, there was one time I got really bad motion sickness in the flight because I was a knucklehead. And I decided to stretch my legs out and be in an aisle seat. And, we, I mean, dude, we went out to eat that night that we flew in. And we went to County Line, I think it was. And, dude, I couldn't even eat. I couldn't eat my food. I was just nauseous and just had a headache, and it just sucked. Ooh. So, I mean, yeah, it could be a little different. That's like a four-hour flight to San Antonio for us. Yeah, and that jet lag gets you, especially when I'm going back to Maryland. That jet lag sidelines me for at least, like, 24, 48 hours. It's tough. You're playing so, in a completely different time zone. I mean, you know, they might – you know, maybe Purdue wants to, you know, do a little okie doke and, uh, you know, have a USC come in for a 930 Eastern game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, I mean, shoot, the stupid Pac-12 was doing that already. Didn't USC have to play at like nine o'clock in the morning yeah. um, last year or something for the ASU game? Was it the ASU game they played? The, really a- the ASU 2020 game, I believe, was 930. Yeah, Pac-12, man. Rip. Rip. F's in chat. F's in chat for the Pac-12. <laughs> Uh, this one comes from Vagabond Trojan. First off, I want to say I always appreciated your style and humor. Gerard, I think that's a reference to me. I'm really sad we missed all the visual bits on the Family Feud podcast, especially Horse Hat. Long live Horse Hat to my Family Feud diehards. That said, I have a recruiting question as well as a side story question for the Chris and Kane cast. Ooh, Kane cast. We can get. We should get uh, Raising Canes to sponsor this podcast, Gerard. Boom. Boom. Uh, the recruiting question, what impact do you think gameplay will have on recruits considering the amount of new coaching staffs in the Pac-12? And then curiosity question, what's the most strange and surprising hobby a player or recruit you come across? This is from Bagabon Trojan. I think we've hit on the gameplay question a lot in this podcast, Gerard. Yes. And that USC has been recruiting sort of on faith, and that could only get you so far. USC prospects, you know, a big part of it is they want to see what they want to see it on the field. They want to be in the Coliseum. They want to be on the sidelines when USC is scoring 40 points on freaking rice. You know, you got to feel that energy in a stadium. And I think gameplay will have a massive, massive part on the decisions for these recruits that USC is recruiting. USC already has a great class 
based on faith in that in that regard. Um, but I think it could be even better if USC is obviously going to win some games uh, in Lincoln Riley's first season. And Gerard, you have hit on this uh, numerous times, so you don't really have to comment it if you don't want to. Sounds like he doesn't want to. And in terms of stranger surprising hobby, I actually have an answer for this, and it is Jason Brown, the uh, 2024 four-star all-purpose back out of Washington, O'Day in Seattle. When I interviewed him, he told me he wants to be a playwright. Like he wants to write plays. And that is like like the most cool response I've ever gotten from a recruit when I because I usually ask them, what do you want to study? And that's what I got. He's actually been writing a play about like his life and his mom's life. So, you know, he has a interest in the arts and Lincoln Riley promised him when he came back for a visit that they were going to take a visit together of the uh, cinematic arts uh, school at USC. So I think playwright is is my answer. I know I'm probably missing one. Okay. From back in the day, like Juju Smith had an interesting hobby. Twitch streamer? I I can't remember. The one that comes up, it's funny because we just talked about him. Most recently that I just remember off the top of my head is DeAndre Moore uh, wants to be an anime. uh, Oh, interesting. Illustrator. And so he wants to go to a school and he wants to study graphic arts and uh, because he's big time in anime. So we talked about that a little bit. I'm not big time into anime. I know a lot of people love anime. Uh, just never really kind of was like a generation after me uh, to some extent. Like I, I would say probably like I'm not even a generation, but probably like 10 years after anime really started to blow up with kids, you know, with the whole Pokemon thing. That was a little after my time. Um, but uh, that's probably the most interesting thing that um, someone has said. But I know there's others. I know there's like been others. I just can't think up the top of my head. Um an interesting hobby that uh, a kid had. I mean, I, in terms of like majors, I always thought it was interesting. Eric Berry was like really into dentistry. Like that was like the big thing. And I remember when USC was recruiting him, uh, they've got a really good dentist school. And so that was like, you know, the talk of the town was, oh man, we got to recruit him off of dentistry. Well, he ended up going to Tennessee. Who knows what their dentistry program is like, you know, sometimes it's just talk, but uh, that was kind of a, an interesting thing. Eric Berry also had braces at one point. Oh, fun fact, I guess. Interesting fact. Probably Roger. what got him into dentistry. Or why probably, he was about probably what got him into dentistry. Seen a lot of dentists said, hey, I could do this. Uh, we have two sort of, there are two separate questions from two different weeks from D from Central California. I'm going to just smush them together. It's been almost two weeks. I guess we're going on three weeks since the huge USC event. Several of the players that visited USC had an official visit this weekend. Sorry, I screwed that up. Let me just start over. It's been two weeks since the huge USC event. Several of the players that visited USC had official visit this past weekend. As you can see, Texas got some huge commitments. That being said, do you guys still stand by your predictions on the amount of commits USC will have before August? I believe GM predicted almost 20 and CT said 16. Thank you. So USC is at nine, sorry, 11, I believe. So I just need five more. 
I will hold on to that. Maybe I would turn it down to like 14, 15, but I, I'm okay holding at 16. Yeah, I don't think they're going to get to 20. I don't think they're going to get to where they expected to be. I, I was thinking like 18, 19-ish. Um, by this point? No, no, not oh, by, oh. by the start of the season, by the end oh, okay. of the summer, basically. Um, I, 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 I would probably more be in line with what Chris is saying. Um, yeah, I would say 16 before the season, but before August, so the rest of this month, they have to get five more. Oh, before August? No, no, yeah, no. It says, question, it, I think the it, question originally was, where does USC want to be going into the season? Right, right, okay. right. right. We, we have potentially another little recruiting event at the end of July. There's a week there that some of these schools are actually bringing in some guys in officially. So I haven't heard one way or the other what's going to happen there. But, I mean, you're going to see commitments here coming and again, you know, there's guys like Mateo Angulale who, you know, wouldn't surprise us if he committed, but it wouldn't surprise us also if he just dragged it on all the way to the end till December. Um, it's it's hard to get you some of the guys, but then there's other guys that definitely want to get it done. And I think we'll get it done. Uh, you got, listen, we still have three emojis. We're going to hang on these emojis, Chris. We're going to do it until they're not a thing anymore. Three emojis hanging around out there still. And um we know that wasn't Mateo Ungulale, and we know that it wasn't uh, Francis Malagoa. Um, and I would say it's not Micah Benuelos. Uh, so, you know, you've got some guys out there still uh, that, uh, you know, potentially I, I don't think either of them or any three of them were Lucas Simmons either. So, yeah, you could start to try to do the math. Or yeah. not? Are you doing the math right now? No, you I, 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 you, you caught me a little bit there. I was like, I don't. I, I was looking for my pen. Yeah, I'll do the math right now. I feel great about sixteen by the by the start of the season, and I would even hold that for the start of August. But I think our initial predictions were by the start of the season, so we have till like the whole August to get there. I I, I think they can get five before September third, going to the season. Gerard, two more questions. We're at the finish line, essentially. Are you ready? I'm ready. This one comes from David Binsaka, which I love this question. A uh, question for the Two Star Podcast. What NIL component would you incorporate into the next NCAA video game? I would say collectives. <laughs> and I have to, like, fundraising is part of my, my job of running this program. My dynasty, if you will. You, you would have a bunch of real estate guys uh, <laughs> and lawyers. A uh, bunch of the, contractors. In-game. They're like they're like black market traders in Escape from Tarkov, which you got to uh, negotiate with them and, and, and have rep with them in order to get the, the best NIL deal. Um, uh, I mean, no, I mean, I think, you know, just having like spark partnerships with um, – various different companies would be cool you know like yeah that'd be a fun component like you get offered like three different sponsorships like oh this one has would raise your profile here but you get more money here and you just have to kind of like pick which one you would do i think that's like the real answer i don't think collective is my real answer that's my bit answer but i like where you're going with that. stick answer my yeah stick. I, I would say uh yeah i mean you could have raising cra- uh, canes you could have crazy. You could have Trader Joe's. You know, in in game. Uh, you know, the problem is it's EA Sports, and we know that they are not the biggest on. Uh, you know, 
realism sometimes when it comes to uh, how much money you got to spend on licenses. So who knows? Uh, maybe they wouldn't want to put that stuff in there. But, you know, you could have, dude, I mean, think about it. McDonald's, Happy Meals with a little something extra in the side. <laughs> so, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> kind of interesting, you know, to see if you can land that McDonald's Happy Meal NIL deal and, uh, you know, become a multimillionaire before you even draft it. Boom. Boom. And what did you get? I got ten thousand dollars. Oh well, there you go. He's really on this Happy Meal uh, bit story for today. That's like your fifth reference. I feel like. Well, there was a lot of talk about that before we actually went on air. <laughs> yeah, so it's just stuck in your brain. We were talking about Adidas versus McDonald's and who was going to win out. <laughs> and our final question, thank God. Comes from Trojan Cilantro. Great name, by the way. Trojan Cilantro. Mm. That's like a, that's what we do. It's a Mexican podcast about USC football. That's the, that's <laughs> not the a blend Mexican right. podcast about anything. Do, please do not alienate our listeners. Okay. Anyway. Cilantro <laughs> is enjoyed by everyone. Okay. But we all know who really fucks with the cilantro let's be real here hurricane uh and hurricanes uh, hurricane cilantro trojan cilantro says thank you for all the hard work covering usc recruits and usc football what are your stories how did you end up covering usc football and finally what crazy unbelievable stories can you share about your experiences holy crap that's the last question that's look look Gerard, <laughs> just do an abbreviated i probably should have just saved this one for uh another podcast but i just wanted to clear out all the questions i just wanted to clear them all out but i guess i'll stall for you gerard but my story is that you wrote this question didn't you i'm no i am trojan cilantro yes i moved out here 2013 got a job at the long beach press telegram covering high school sports i just hit my mic i'm sorry covering high school sports it was a fun, great couple years. Then I got moved to Redlands out in that IE area. I was a sports editor there. I was the only sports writer. It was fun, but also a little bit miserable making that commute. And I got hit up by Jason Negro, head coach of St. John Bosco. He was like, look, 247, he's looking for somebody to cover USC and you were the first person I thought of here's the number call this person and yeah I've been doing it ever since so journalism is my background did not expect to get into USC recruiting coverage or USC football but here I am Gerard and I'm running this podcast with you I didn't know that uh, Jason was uh you're in there man you yeah to... funny funny story I owe him a steak dinner we just haven't like had the time I'm probably are they at the thing this weekend? I probably, if I see them, I got to be like, look, it's summer. This is our best time to do it. You and me, steakhouse. I owe him a steak dinner. I got to get it done because I owe him that. Because if he hadn't called me, I wouldn't be here, Gerard. You'd be doing it with yeah. somebody else or not at all. I don't know. Yeah, six years later or whatever. Well, <laughs> hopefully I get paid back uh, sooner than that. Uh, any favors I do for you? Uh, remember that it's home, kids. Chris uh, does not pay back his favorites very quickly. Yeah, I owe you a steak, uh, you know, seven years later. Um, We're both very busy. 
how did I get in? Well, I, I grew up following USC football. Um, I was uh, actually friends with Chris Claiborne in high school. We played against each other. And so Chris, you know, was picking between Notre Dame, USC, Florida State. There was a bunch of schools recruiting him, and he picked USC. So I kind of was actually, when I was in high school, I started really sort of focusing more on watching USC as opposed to just, you know, Ohio State or just whatever. You know, Florida State was really good back then. So, you know, they were always talked about. And so you'd watch Florida State. But that was kind of my connection, I guess, to the program, um, first and foremost. And then uh, going through um, college and, and you know, it kind of taking a bunch of – I was actually taking a bunch of speech and argumentation classes because I, I liked speech classes I was good at public speaking and so I started taking like argumentation and debate and stuff like that because it was just more credits and in, in that line and that discipline and one of my speech teachers was like you should you should write like you're good speaking but you're like a better writer uh, which is kind of low-key like kind of an insult when you're in a speech class you know like hey you know <laughs> you should write <laughs> stop talking um <laughs> But uh, so I kind of fumbled my way into like journalism, communication classes. And I thought, well, I mean, that's writing. And I realized it's totally different kind of writing. Like I learned AP style really quickly. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, I just like from an internship standpoint, I was doing some stuff with student sports. I was uh, helping moderate their national high school football board. And if you guys remember back then, uh, you had the Fab 50, which was the first uh, inclination incarnation, not inclination, incarnation of national high school football rankings. Uh, you had the USA Today top 25, which was around for many, many years. I used to always get the USA Today on Tuesdays so I could, you know, read about Moeller and Duncanville and, um, you know, Maslin and, and St. Thomas Aquinas and all these schools nationally. And Maslin. Yeah, Maslin in Ohio. Um, I just want to say it. Sorry. Sorry. I just want to say it. You just wanted to say it. Okay. Uh, Odessa Permian which is the, uh, oh, the Friday Night Light School, which yeah. has not been good probably since they put out. Uh, they haven't been good since Roy Williams was a receiver there and went to Texas. Um, but uh, Midland Lee and all these schools and whatever. And so I was very much into high school football. Like I, I actually just liked high school football and was very interested in high school football. And then, uh, you know, the Fab 50 came out. And <clears throat> so I helped up with uh, moderating and um, – I was posting there and uh, Ryan and USAFootball.com was a part of the rivals network at that point. And I was like, Oh, I'm you know, going to post over here. And I posted on a few different message boards, but I started posting uh, on his message board and he had seen the post and, and he and actually Domer BG4, Brian, who uh, used to uh, do a little, um, you know, really volunteer work for USAFootball.com. He was a moderate, what have you. Um, pointed it out, I think, to to Ryan, like, hey, you know, this guy kind of seems to know what he's talking about. You know, maybe he could do some stuff for us. So Ryan just called me a subscription and said, hey, can you put together a list of recruits that USC should be targeting? I was like, yeah, sure. So instead of just, the you know. The first target list. The first target list, yeah. But instead of actually just making a list, which you would think, oh, you know, I just put the list together and maybe some links or something like that. I actually made the first target list. It was very much similar to the target list you see now. Now it's in a PDF file because of 24-7, and they have this cookie-cutter vanilla back end that don't allow us to code HTML, but I digress. Yeah, you're digressing a lot, but do you actually remember anyone on that first fateful target list? That was the early 2000s, so I would say, you know, funnily enough, Roy Williams, 
I don't think was on that list, but I think he was in that class, the receiver from Odessa Perryman that went to Texas. I think I put Sloan Thomas on that list, though. And Sloan Thomas was another receiver. I, it, Texas that year, you had the big three. You had Roy Williams, Sloan Thomas, and you had, oh, B.J. Johnson, I think was the other kid that went to Grand Prairie High School in Texas. It might have been Grand Prairie South he was at, but they had the three big receivers, and everybody wanted them, and they all ended up at Texas. And I didn't think USC had a shot at uh, either Johnson or Roy Williams. I knew Roy Williams was going to go to Texas. But Sloan Thomas, I thought, was the guy that was a good player that they might be able to sneak in for. And they came out here, and I believe, yeah, I'm pretty sure they participated in the Caltech Shrine game. And so those guys came out. And I was like, that's a great opportunity, you know, for USC to try to get an unofficial visit from some of these guys, so on and so forth. So I think, I think that was the first edition of the target list. Um, but that's going back. That is definitely going back. Um, Are you trying to look up Sloan Thomas and Roy Williams right now to figure out what class they were? I was in? trying to find the 1999 uh, – 1999 is too soon. It was it was like oh. uh, I officially started work for uscfootball.com actually being paid. I think it was like I th- 2003. I thought you said I thought you said 1999 was the first. No. Oh. So it, it would have been early 2000s. Um, oh, early 2000s. So I would if you just put in Sloan Thomas, Texas or Sloan or maybe B.J. Johnson. I think it was B.J. Johnson was a kid's name. He was a smaller B.J. Uh, Johnson, number seven back. overall prospect. Yeah, fast receiver. Um, he yeah, really probably did the least of those three. You know, really, Roy Williams was the only guy that ended up being an NFL prospect out of the three. But that was, you know, it was the, the three-headed monster coming out of Texas everybody was recruiting. Well, there you go. I mean, I to the second part of the question, I don't have any crazy stories, I, unfortunately. I know Gerard does, and he's going to tell it, and it's going to add 20 more minutes to this. So go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. Ahead, It'll be in the book that everybody always asks me. I'm right. Yes. Writing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I can't wait. Can I write the forward? No, you you would actually need like someone important to <laughs> write uh, that forward for you. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Pete, probably maybe Brendan Carroll. Maybe Brendan could do it. Okay. Well. I don't have any crazy stories. Maybe we'll save that for next time at the end because I'm loopy right now. I, we might be, no, I don't think this is going to be three hours, but this is by far the longest one. Another historical marker in our return. This has just showed me to never skip a week because then it doubles up to the next week. So I learned my lesson. Return. Well, we didn't skip a week because we really took a break. We we were at the lead 11. I mean, we couldn't, you know, there's only so much. We were literally coming off of like three events in a row at USC. Then there's a lead 11 on that Tuesday, which is odd in the middle of the week. So, yeah, we were uh, we weren't we were working. It just, you know, was kind of hard to be able to uh, put aside two hours for podcast. For sure. Well, a lot of going on over the course of next week. We got, like George said, big passing tournament this weekend. Lucas Simmons committing in about five days. So we'll be talking about the results of that, our next week's pod. But Gerard, anything else you would like to add before I wrap this big old son of a bitch of a podcast up? Keep it classy, San Diego. There you good. There you good. There, there you are. 
Uh, I'm Chris. That is Hurricane. And we will catch you next time on the Composite Two Star Recruits. Yeah, Leopard sucks!